This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I'm joined this week by Mr. Greg Meisner. Hello, Greg. Hey, that's me. It's Greg. He's ill, yep. but he's soldiering I'm, on. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sick. I've been sick since Tuesday last week. Right after uh, the show. Yeah, I stayed while I was in Virginia. I stayed with one of the, one of the other team members. And every morning driving the track, this dude was like hacking up a lung in the, in the driver's seat. I'm like, dude, he's sick. He's like, nah, I'm fine. It's just allergies. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Don't it's you like, make me fucking sick. It's like the VIR yeah. equivalent of the chili bowl uh, illness that they get every year after that. It's the, yeah, the VIR virus. <laughs> ugh. I, just, I feel like ass. Like, just... Just, I just feel terrible. I don't know how else to explain it. I don't have COVID. I've taken a couple COVID tests. You know, I think it's just an upper respiratory infection or something, but I'm, I'm dying. I couldn't breathe for a couple of days. That's fun. That's overrated. Yeah. You don't need to do that. No. Nah. And, and honestly, this is, this is only the second time this season I've gotten sick from traveling. Mm. And so and neither one of them have been COVID. So that's been great. That's that's you pretty know. impressive. I that's got COVID, and I don't go fucking anywhere. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> I do consider myself lucky, especially since it's like on the rise again. You know? Oh yeah, it is now. Yeah. 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 I uh, I might have to start wearing masks at the airport again. Maybe, maybe it might yeah. might not be a bad idea. Probably um, not. We are also joined by, thankfully, a completely, well, I assume completely well and and um, well, as well as he can be, uh, Mr. JD Daniel. Hello, JD. I mean, wellness all depends on your point of view. Um, from the outside, I would say I'm fine. On the inside, it's just, you know, that that meme with the face screaming behind the mask. There's that. Yeah. On the outside, on the outside I'm, I'm Putin, but on yes! the inside, I'm hollering. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are the same person. Fantastic. No, oh. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, for goodness sake. Excellent. Well, while Greg dies in the background, um, we will be talking (laughs) this episode about uh, IndyCar at Portland and NASCAR at Darlington. But before all of that, we have to start with our favorite, the one, the only, the pinnacle, Formula One. Um, The Italian Grand Prix at Monza. To, to, To start off with, I would actually say probably the best race of the season maybe i'm i'm str- i was trying to think earlier whether we've had a better race and um, they've all been pretty shit and this one was also pretty shit but it was probably the best one so far the best one i don't you know i'm struggling to remember many details from <laughs> any of the other races 
The only one that came to my mind was Monaco because of the weather. But yeah, and then I was just sad because Aston Martin meant Alonso didn't win the race. So hmm. I'm, I'm struggling to think of, it, of whether there was a better one. I mean, everyone on the internet seemed to think that Zandvoort last week was the best one of the season, which I don't understand whatsoever. Yeah, to be honest, just because it rained in the way that they wanted it to. For some they reason. saw the overtake numbers and thought that that meant something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've got uh. a bunch of cars going two mile an hour on the wrong tire compound. That's an exciting race, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's not. But so, yeah, I'd probably say this was the best one so far. And it wasn't just because for the first time this season, um, another car led for a little bit uh, that wasn't a Red Bull. Um, obviously, coming into the event, Monza, everyone expects Ferrari to do well. Because if they don't, there's no crowd because they all go home. Um, as such, Ferrari entered the weekend basically with a bunch of Hail Mary upgrades. They had brand new engines, brand new parts specific for Monza. They really threw everything they had at trying to salvage something from this weekend to, to, to try and make the season at least somewhat good by winning their home race. Um, in qualifying, it appeared to work as Carlos Sainz was able to get pole position with a, a bloody brilliant lap, actually. Um, Max Verstappen ended up second. Um, I, I say they got pole. It, it was by point zero point zero one three of a second, so it was still close. Um, Verstappen was second with Leclerc also within a tenth of a second of pole. Leclerc was angry because he didn't get a slipstream, um, but still third. Um, Did y'all watch qualifying? I didn't yeah. get a chance to. Yeah, yeah, cool. and, and it was it was good. It, um, you know, it, it had a little bit less. So there were some shenanigans. So in years past, when it comes to Monza qualifying, and, uh, you know, it's been the case, everyone trying to get a draft. And then you had it a couple of years ago, I think 2021, where not all but one car didn't get a lap in Q3 at the end because they all missed it trying to fanny around and get some fucking slipstream. Um, oh, yeah. That was, was that the year they all there was like a huge traffic jam? Yeah. Yeah. Right there before was a parabolica or yep. Yeah, uh, basically the whole way yeah. through. And then also, uh, like, they all came out of the pits. Hulkenberg skipped the chicane to try and get to the front of the queue. And then, I don't know, it, it was a mess. Yeah. So for a year, for multiple years now, we've especially at Monza qualifying, we've always said they need to do something to try and make drivers not crawl around whilst others are on flying laps because it's really fucking dangerous. And there's going to be a point where there's an airplane crash because some guy goes over the back of another one who's going two mile an hour. So the FIA finally introduced a means to try and stop that. They, they introduced a, a, a minimum lap time that you had to do between the two safety car lines. So from the, the point that you pass, the, like the point that you leave the pits or pass the safety car line one, and then all the way around to safety car line two or whatever it is, you have to get there in about, I think it was like one minute and 41 seconds or something like Still that. Still too long. Still too long, considering lap times at Monza are 120, 119s. Um, well, it was 120 for a pole, I think. Uh, 121. They're slower now. I keep forgetting that. Um, and it kind of worked. Like, you, you did have drivers not as egregiously slow. Um, but the thing that kind of made qualifying, for me, a little bit more like uh, exciting, if you will, is that in Q1, we heard that, surprise, surprise, Ferrari had allegedly exceeded this minimum time. So so it was announced just after the end of Q1 that they were under investigation and it would be investigated after the session as to whether they would get a penalty or something like that for both cars exceeding the line. Um, 
So then fast forward to the end of Q3, Science gets Paul Leclerc third, and then all of a sudden they announced no action. Um, it, it seemed a little bit, you know, match fixing, if you will, but it was explained afterwards that there was a, 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 uh, anecdote or, or a sub clause to the, um, rule whereby you were allowed to exceed it if you were letting cars through. And they were. And they were, in fairness, but you know, it's it's a classic Formula One. You know, oh, we'll f- we'll fix a problem that no other series has with a rule that doesn't work, which can easily be sidestepped. You know, it. Yeah, I I, <laughs> and, and I, I I heard about all this again. I didn't get to watch qualifying, so I haven't I haven't actually seen any of the footage, but I can I can gather what happened, mm. right? Um, and uh, I was talking to somebody on my sim team. I don't remember who it was, but they were saying that the 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 reason they probably went with no action was because they didn't, they hadn't decided beforehand what the punishment was going to be if you broke the rule, right? Well, I mean, I may be, I may be wrong. Again, the punishment this is, this is, um, eventually, like, because we didn't know at the time, but it was then announced after the session that if they had, they did know what the punishment would have been if they had given them one, okay. but it only would have been a reprimand. So uh, after yeah, all well, of that, it wouldn't have done anything. Yeah, so nothing. It, yeah. So yeah, basically okay. now, unless they, in in the gap between this season and next season, unless they introduce a proper regulation to try and tackle it, all the teams are just going to go back to doing what they were doing anyway because the punishments are reprimand. You know, it's it's yeah, well, it's pointless. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, like to me, it feels like the the stewards are just choosing life. You know, given what <laughs> happened after the race, you know, that's, to, to a certain driver, they just didn't want an angry Italian mob to come after them. That's what they were saying again on my sim team. Was it was. <laughs> It was a decision to not die that weekend because they would have they would have needed the Italian National Guard or whatever the hell they have over there <laughs> to escort them out of the track in in a way. And then uh, you mentioned something happened after the race. Uh, was that the uh, robbery that I'm yes. hearing yeah. about again? And that's the second time that he's been robbed. That's, right? No, Leclerc has been robbed, but not Science. Okay, so okay, so now they're batting a thousand for the Ferrari team. <laughs> Good job, so guys. Uh, and both times in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah. In 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 Milan, a couple of hours mm. after the race, yeah. Um, mercifully, no one was hurt in in this robbery. They tried, they stole his watch, but then they managed to chase the, down the people that stole them and then cornered them. Uh, police eventually arrived. He got his watch back. No one was hurt, so it's yeah. good. But you know, there's shitty people out there. That's not really anything new. <laughs> yeah, everybody sucks everywhere. The guy's like, do you know why they call me a smooth operator? And then the guy gave <laughs> up. I don't know who you are. Anyway, um, <laughs> I can't do a Carlos Sainz impression. Um, anyway. Your so neck's not thick enough. You have to get the... <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm not... Uh, we'll, we'll do this another time. I'll, I'll learn. <laughs> I'll learn. Um was there anything important that happened in qualifying other than that? Oh yeah. Alexander Albon qualified sixth as Williams continue to do really, really well. Um, perhaps not surprisingly considering their cars main strength is straight line speed and Monza is L straight line. Um, and you had Sergio Perez qualify fifth. <laughs> Excellent. <Tight. laughs> um, so that was kind of it for qualifying. I don't think there was anything else we really need to go into there. Then on to the race. So naturally, 
there's been multiple times this year you know this isn't the first time this year that a car that isn't a red bull has started on pole positioning usually if the trends are anything to go by when red bull don't qualify on pole they win by a bigger margin um it, it seems to be that maybe not intentionally or probably not intentionally but they they definitely prioritize their race car over their qualifying car because they've got so much pace it doesn't really matter where the fuck they qualify look to miami when verstappen qualified 10th and still won uh, by like 10 or 20 seconds or whatever it was um so there was still despite the fact that that ferrari were first and third with all of these upgrades there was still a lot of people thinking you know maybe it was only a matter of time before verstappen moved to the front um mercifully science was able to hold the lead on lap one and duly led i believe it was about 15 or 16 laps 15 um, yeah and in that time verstappen had multiple goes at him and and Science was defending really, really aggressively, really great, but aggressively. You know, you could tell, you know, given the season they're having, why, why, why not risk it? You know, if if the if it's retire or win the Monza, the Italian Grand Prix for Ferrari, you know, he was prepared to give it all, and and the way he was defending was aggressive. Um, to the point where you know Verstappen tried to go around the outside of him at the first part of the chicane at turn one. Um, and uh, got duly put across the curbs. Um, at this point, I'd like to mention the fact that Verstappen said that that was naughty. I would like to once yeah. again uh, direct him to all of the onboard footage of him doing the same to other people for the last five years. Yeah, he's kind of known for that shit. Uh, it's his move. <laughs> Everyone yeah. calls it a Verstappen. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I'm frustrated. I've, I've spoken before about one of the main things I dislike about Formula One is the lack of racing room all of a sudden like the racing room regulation just seems to have fucked off into the ether um and you can now if you go around the outside of someone you can just expect to be shown the grass or the gravel or the wall because you dared to go around the outside of someone back back when i first started watching formula one all the time you had to leave it a space but apparently that doesn't exist anymore but you know and that's the thing i don't like about max is you know Formula One have dropped a bollock by allowing all the drivers to push everyone off. And it's not just Max. Other people do it. Lewis does it. Charles does it. Everyone does it because they're allowed to. But it's then the fact that Max has the nerve to go on and say that it was naughty or wrong when he's done exactly the same thing. I can't stand that. Like, it's just so hypocritical. Like, I hate when people use the rule set against me. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it when people do what I do. <laughs> yeah. No one can use my move but me. No. No, um, <laughs> but yeah wh whilst science was able to keep him at bay for a little bit um the the the, the worrying bit was when uh, i think it was around lap six or seven or so verstappen got on the radio and said that um no it was lap four um verstappen got on the radio and said he's already struggling for rear tire grip don't worry and uh, yeah. i think at that point we were all like oh here we go um and and sure surely enough by by lap 15 um Verstappen got a really good run and managed to clear him. And from there, that was basically it. Um, he ultimately ended up, again, it, it's one of the fastest races on the calendar. It was over in about an hour and, and, and 25 minutes or something like that. He hadn't led the first six, 15 laps of the 51 lap race, and yet he still ended up winning. Well, he would have ended up winning by about nope. 10 seconds. Are we losing? Yeah. Are we losing Jordan? I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like he's back though. Am I good? It sounds like he's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was just weird. 
yeah, so he would have ended up winning by about 10 seconds or so. Um, however, there was this, uh, apparently in the last few laps, there was some urgency over the radio about a potential issue, um, which meant the gap dropped to about six seconds. But nevertheless, to win by that margin at Monza of all places against a team that has done a Hail Mary upgrade to try and suit Monza. I mean, <sighs> you could tell the Ferrari had power. Yeah. Right. Like there were, there was some, there was some moments, maybe not up against Max, but there were definitely some moments where you could see it, you know, coming down the straight. That thing is fast, but it just doesn't, it didn't have anything on the Red Bull. It's the tire I, that really screwed him. Yeah. I, I, I'm not like hoping something's happening for the season, but I can imagine a few years down the road, we're going to find some shit out. Red Bull did some sneaky shit this year. Cause this is, it's, it's a bit ridiculous, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just, that's just my opinion. I, I just, I can't, I can't believe that they are developmentally and, and just pe- outright that far ahead. Well, Mercedes everybody were in, in 2014. It wasn't that bad though. It was. Was it? Yeah, like twenty yeah. for twenty fourteen especially. Um, you know, that they, they were they very seldom ran at full speed. But then you look at the Bahrain Grand Prix from twenty fourteen, the one race where they pushed flat out just to try and beat each other, and after ten laps of a restart they were leading by thirty seconds or something. So okay. like I, I think the problem is with Formula One being you know it's formula one it's all about a development a regulation formula that teams have to develop cars to and whenever you introduce a new radical development change there's always the risk that one team is just going to do a much better job than everyone else um you mean and adrian knew he's going to do a much better job correct than everyone else. um <laughs> so you know i think that's you know, there's there's been some things that were found out about Mercedes from the ter- beginning of the turbo hybrid era with regards to them basically shaping the rules to how they wanted it behind the scenes. Whether we find out similar things with Red Bull, I don't know. Um, obviously, there's the cost cap thing. You you know, that's a debate that I don't really want to get into because it's been had so many times about yeah, yeah, we whether they had a meaningful... A breakage of the cost cap, or or even if like even if you disagree with there being a meaningful and an unmeaningful breach, how much did that really help them? You know who who the fuck knows. But at the end of the day, part and parcel of Formula One is that you're going to get these situations where team and driver are in perfect harmony, and it's po- impossible to beat them in that sense. And and it does look like this year, Max and Red Bull are completely unbeatable, and as such. The win at Monza was Verstappen's record-breaking 10th consecutive. He has not lost a race since Miami. Um, that That's a cool stat. I'll give him that. Yeah. Breaks Seb Vettel's old record of nine in a row during one of his championship seasons. So it is Also a, with Red Bull, right? Yep, yep also yeah. with Red Bull. So it is a very historic stat line for, uh, for Red Bull and Verstappen to gain, but... At the same time, going to what you were talking about, Jordan, this kind of this race really encompassed all that is good and bad with F1 at at this moment. Like just everything from the dominance of Red Bull to the racing that we saw on track, Ferrari ba- basically built a Monza specific car to try to combat 
Red Bull, and they still lost to just the normal Red Bull car, essentially with a little downforce pack. Like they threw everything in the kitchen sink at it. New engine, super low arrow, and it still wasn't enough. Mm. And the racecraft that was on display, I mean, Carlos Sainz, he was driving like his life depended on it. Like he was on that line of being too aggressive with his defense. He wasn't weaving back and forth unnecessarily, but he was still like, okay, I'm going to squeeze as much as I'm allowed to squeeze by the, to the millimeter. But it, it just showed how dominant Red Bull is, shows how unwieldy the cars are in these battles. Like These things are super wide and super long. They can barely get through these chicanes too wide. And we saw with other battles like Alex Albon and the McLarens, Guys has full lock on his car trying to make the corner and it's still shoving people off because that's just how big the cars are. They're too big and bulky for actual racecraft combat. Uh, it, it's just really unfortunate. I know everyone in F1 is like, oh, it's the formula, it's the formula, it's the formula. But like you said, like if this formula keeps changing, a team hits it out of the park, you know, them changing the formula again just to bring that team back to everyone else isn't going to fix the problem. I think F1 in general and F1 fans have a problem of, oh, don't worry, the next regs will change everything. The next regs will change everything. The next regs will just make it so another team is dominant. It's not going to bring everybody up to a similar playing field. What really needs to happen in that, what we almost had at the end of 2021 was they left the regs the same for a good three, four years, you know, then they had to extend it due to the, the pandemic and the racing got a lot closer. People were catching up to Mercedes. So it actually made it a really cool championship fight. But, you know, now they're going, oh, the next regs in 2025. Well, we're just going to have this whole big song and dance all over again. Either Mercedes, Red Bull or Ferrari's going to hit it out of the park and they'll go on another dominant streak. It's not going to address what the real problem is. And, we we know that F1 will never introduce BOP measures for these cars because all the engineers will just throw a hissy fit. I think that goes against the spirit of Formula One. Yeah, that's what BOP, that's what the argument is. Yeah. It, it's this, against the spirit of the formula. Just build it to the formula, and if you have the best, you win. That's why it will yeah. never happen. I mean, so the 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 da- I, I I think the 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 problem with Formula One, I think, is what makes it. Formula One, right? If you want a series with VOP and good racing and all that, watch IMSA, watch IndyCar, watch NASCAR, because it's that's that if that's the type of racing you want, that's where it's at. But if you're just a fan of engineering and watching, you know, billionaires play with <laughs> upside down airplanes, uh, watch Formula One. It's kind of always been this way right yeah like even even go way way back to formula one it's kind of always just been like a a few teams will get it you're gonna have your teams in the bottom every once in a while they'll work their way up to the top and it takes them years to get there and then they'll fade back to the back you know it's just it's part of the game that's why that's why uh a a i think it's a good starter series for people who are wanting to get into motorsport because it's exciting. It's flashy. It's all, you know, it looks good on TV. And then once you start really figuring out, okay, there are other motorsports out there to watch other than formula one. And they have uh, arguably better rule sets and better competition. 
you know. Like, I'm in two minds with that. I, I spoke with Jordan the other day about F1 and how the casual F1 fan perceives other racing series. I feel like people who come came into F1 watching the Drive to Survive series and like, oh, they're told over and over again, this is the pinnacle of motorsport. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. There's nothing else that can top F1 in terms of racing action and whatever have you. Yes, F1's the top in terms of dollars spent mm-hmm. on these cars and teams. But it's not and really... Drivers getting paid. Yeah, drivers getting paid. But it's not really a championship where the driver can make a huge difference in the team's performance. It's mostly down to the engineering team and how they built their car that makes the biggest difference. So then, like, when you get F1 drivers explore other series, you know, then they also like, do really good or dominate or win. Like, you had Alonso go win a WEC championship. You have Ericsson go to IndyCar, get a few wins. Grosjean be very strong in IndyCar. K-Mag go to IMSA and slap people. People look down on those series because, like, oh, well, K-Mag sucks in F1 dresser Haas. He's always finishing last. Well, he's really a whole lot better than all these other guys in these other series. Why would I watch that? But you, you know, it, it kind of, I mean, that's, but I'm that's, from. yeah, yeah. But that's, I think that's your, that's your, that's, that's kind of both sides of the argument, right? Like yeah. it, it, that just proves that no matter how good Kevin Magnuson is as a driver, Haas can't keep up with anybody. It's yeah. the team. It's the engineers. It's the way they spend their money. It's the way they design the car. It's all that. It has almost nothing to do with Kevin Magnuson. We know he's a good driver. He had to be a good driver to get looked at for people to go, hmm, he might be good as a pilot for a Formula One car. Yeah. Bring him over, you know? And then, you know, and then when he goes to IMSA, of course he's going to smack the fuck out of those guys. Most of those guys are paying to be there. You know, they're mostly customers. They're not professional race car drivers. They're not, uh, you know, not, not, not a whole lot of them, but some of them are paid to drive certain cars, mainly in the GTPs. But every once in a while you'll get, you know, I, I think, I think Jack Oxworth gets paid to drive the Lexus, but guess who's paying him? It's the other guy driving the Lexus. It's not the team. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, I, I've a lot of the times, like when the Olympics come up, people are like, "Oh, we should put at least one regular guy in there to see, you know, the difference between a regular sprinter and Usain Bolt." Right? That's what IMSA does every weekend. They take regular dudes and put them in there with these fucking monsters and have them compete on the track at the same time. So yeah, of course Kevin Magnuson is going to go to IMSA and win. These guys are race car drivers. They're fucking car dealership owners and shit. That's what Ben Keating is. Yeah. Ben Keating is mean, not a professional race car driver. I mean, he is. He's he's at the, he's racing at that level, but he owns dealerships and he has the money to play. Yeah. And it, That's the difference expensive. between... Yeah. Yeah, racing is expensive, so unless you're a car manufacturer or just a self-made millionaire billionaire, you can't really yeah. do it. And so, yeah, these guys in F1, yes, they are very, very good. And even the guys who don't quite make it to F1 are very, very good when they go to other f- series of motorsport. Like I've just seen it in the past. Like I'm not saying any of you guys, but I've seen people in the past go like, oh, well, 
you know, this guy XYZ sucks in F1. Why would I want to watch them in this other series kind of thing? Kind of like it, it puts the other series down in my mind, seeing that kind of criticism. So. Hey, hey, you have no idea how hard those Formula One cars are to drive, my guy, right? Like yeah. normal people don't get to drive them. If they do, it's for a couple of hot laps and that thing is turned way down. You know, you have no idea what it takes as a as a human being to be able to pilot that thing. I've I've heard that in the two seater, most people can't do more than like three laps in the two seater. That's not driving, that's just riding. Yeah. And at the end of their two laps, they have to get out and lay down because they can't hold their fucking head up with their their cause their neck muscles are just gone. That's two laps. Do what a practice, a practice, a qualifying, and then a race session in one weekend with jet lag. You know, yeah. Lance Stroll did it with a broken yeah. hand. Like, like these we, guys are we, good, but we know these guys are freaking good. I just wish we could see more of them show off how good they are instead of it just being solely dependent on their team's funding. Should there be a a time limit, like a term limit for Formula One drivers. No, there needs to be more teams, but they want to block that. They don't want That's more fair. teams to split the prize pool. That's fair. I, I would like to see these guys in more race series, though. Right? Whether it be WEC or IMSA or... Nah, I'd, I'd pay to go watch Fernando Alonso driving the fucking truck series. <laughs> you know? Kimmy like, did it. Like, just just go go race more. And that's what Max wants. I'm so excited for Max's post Formula One career. Right. Because it's going to happen soon. Why? Because Max has goals and those goals aren't fucking Formula One. Mm. He wants to own a team. He wants to do endurance racing specifically. And he wants to, I read an article that he wants to, uh, uh, he's got a problem in motorsport is that it's very expensive and a lot of drivers get left behind and I want to do something about that. Right. Whether or not he like those are his actual feelings and that's what he's going to actually do. And it wasn't just something for the media, but I, I think he can, if he, if he comes out of formula one and starts an endurance team to compete with, you know, whether it be LMP two or a GT car or whatever, uh, you know, I think he's going to make an effort to bring sim racers who are worthy and put them in a real car, he, regardless he of money. Is. He already huh? is. Um, he has a team in uh, SRO Europe um, driving Ferraris. They have Red Bull Verstappen racing on the side of them. And they raced this weekend at the Hockenheim Ring, and one of them did a bump and run to get on the podium. So they, they fall <laughs> after Max very well. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see his post-Formula 1 career. I, I see him winning Le Mans and a WEC championship. Yeah, it's going to happen. So, but anyway, <laughs> back to Monza. Yeah, that was a good. <laughs> I don't really know how to segue back, but um, Monza. So there was a race. There was a race in Monza. <laughs> yeah, and, and right at the and, start of that, you mentioned something that I what I did want to highlight, which was you know the fact that because whilst I agree, you know Formula One is all about development and all of that. That's what started that whole tangent. Um, but there are definitely things that they could do which still maintain that level of development but just improve the show. And I think this Grand Prix showed more than any other so far this year, apart from maybe Monaco, that these cars desperately need to be 
uh, thinner and shorter. Like yeah. the fact that nine out of 10 overtakes that were attempted resulted in contact or somebody going across at the corner or the runoff. It just looked like what, when, when people say that this was a great race, no, I don't think it was. It wasn't great racing Mm-mm. when the only people that could really pull off overtakes were science and the and It looked sketchy as fuck and Hamilton and Albon. And that was just before Hamilton then shagged it into the side of Piastri. It's just, like these cars are so so fucking wide and it, it just makes track like monza should be an easy track for racing long straights and tight corners you know that it, and huge drafting potential it should be good racing and it just wasn't it, it was just it it looked amateur but i'm not saying the drivers are amateur because as you said you know you're full lock trying to get around a corner and you're still pushing the guy off because you just haven't got any space the cars are too big so what are they know, like six and a half feet wide are they? yeah something stupid like that it's, and it's, almost 20 feet long yeah it's it's ridiculous My, how yeah. big they are and, and it's not even like it's not even as if it's gradually gotten that way over time even if you compare the cars to how they were 13 years ago like 2010 um which i would still consider the modern era of formula one even though it's suddenly 13 years ago um the cars tiny was, cars yeah the cars were so much shorter um so they desperately I, I really hope more than it i don't care what engine or power unit or whatever the regulations are for those when the new regs come in in 2026 the cars just need to be like have smaller they need to be smaller and hopefully lighter i know yeah like three quarters of the size they are now yeah like you, you like you look at formula e again very different series but simply they are so small they can overtake anywhere like I mean, look at the Formula 2 car. Formula 2, and we'll talk about the new Formula 2 car in a bit, but that... That thing looks beautiful. It looks, it looks great. But, I love it. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah. the but even the Formula 2 now, like the dimensions aren't really changing, but Mm-mm. they can race. Yeah. <laughs> like, lo and behold, they can fucking race because they aren't like the size of a double-decker bus. So, you I, know... I, we, we, when growing up, we had a, a 1970 Galaxy 500 fastback. <laughs> It was 19 and a half feet long. That's like half an F1 car. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, let me look it up real quick. What are the dimensions of Formula One cars nowadays? I think they're two and a half meters wide. Two and a half meters long and like five meters long-ish. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's they're, they're ridiculous. Massive. And, and it's all because, like, it's since, like, 2017 was when they really started ballooning when, when they went to the more higher downforce thing. And yeah, it's, it's just way too much. They, they are ridiculous. Yeah. 5.63 meters long and two meters wide. Two meters is six feet. Yeah. It's horrendous. Right. Is six and a half fucking feet. And then five, five meters is 16.4, but it's Five point something meters, right? Five point six three meters. Yeah, like the the size ballooning happened, yeah. like you said in twenty seventeen. They're chasing lap records to take it away from the V ten era cars, which were just freaking missiles. So they're like, oh, we want to make these cars the biggest and the fastest ever, break all the track records. But then it just made everything so much worse. So F one's just their own worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah, they, they desperately I, need to, to change the dimensions for sure. I wish y'all could see this picture of just how 
big these fucking things have gotten. Oh yeah, and this go this only this. goes up to twenty twenty, and the cars nowadays in twenty twenty three are a little bigger still. Mm. Yeah, just look up any size comparison of F one cars, and you'd be like, holy crap. Yeah, Aiden Millward did a really good video about uh, last month where he compared them all with like three D models and went into the history of them. So I'd, I'd very much recommend watching that. But um, yeah, so Verstappen ended up winning the race. Um, once he got ahead of science, he didn't really look back apart from this little issue toward the end. Perez, who qualified, did I say fifth or sixth? I think he was fifth. Um, he ended up uh, coming through to finish second, but had a lot harder of a time of it because um, it's Sergio Perez. Um, ended up finishing six seconds off. Like I said, it would have been 10 seconds. The Ferraris in the closing laps, That basically the thing that made this race really entertaining was Ferrari because you had science's like really hard defensive Verstappen in the close in the early laps and in the closing laps you had him well you had the mid stages where he was holding off Perez but then in the closing laps he was fighting Leclerc and th- that was spicy like the, the final five six seven laps or so right down to the last lap of the race they were going at it you know the the team told them you can fight but don't have any risk Leclerc responded to that by throwing it down the inside of turn one um you know, it, it was a really, really good fight. Really, really tense. You won. I, I wonder, you know, what should they have maybe called the fight off? But what do they have to lose? You know, they're, they're not in a fight this year. So why not fight for it? You know, um, and, you know, it's two Ferrari drivers fighting over the last podium position at Monza. It means more than anything to them. So ultimately, Sainz was just able to hold off Leclerc by about uh, two tenths of a second in the end. Leclerc even had a run on him into the final corner. It, it looked really sketchy, but bo- both managed to come out on top um, and, well, not on their lids, basically, which was good. Um, behind them, Russell and Hamilton. Um, Russell was 23 seconds off, and then there was a big, big gap back to Hamilton and everyone else. Hamilton had qualified in the lower reaches of the top 10. Um Alex Alban uh, would finish seventh. Um, oh, I'm, whilst I, I've completely neglected Hamilton, because um, in the closing stages, he ended up having contact with Oscar Piastri. And this was another instance where an overtake attempt ended up in disaster. They were coming into the Della Roggia chicane. We've seen it a couple of times over the last few years where drivers on the inside will try and move over to the right to try and straighten up the corner because the cars are too big to get through there. They made contact. Hamilton was given a five-second penalty for the contact, which sent Piastri uh, without a front wing back to the pits. Um, ultimately, Hamilton was able to make up enough time to circumvent his penalty, and he ended up finishing sixth ahead of Albon and seventh, as I mentioned. Um, Albon basically had a race-long battle with the McLarens, um, and ultimately ended up beating uh, Lando Norris by three tenths of a second. And for what feels like the fifth or sixth Grand Prix in a row, I've got to say Albon is the driver of the season so far. He is taking that Williams to places that it, it's getting to the point where it is where it should be, but I still don't think it should be where it is finishing. It, it's He is dragging that thing. He's, he's yeah. driving like a pissed off teenager, and I kind of like it. I'm here for it. <laughs> He is racing everyone so hard right now. Yeah. And I can't wait for him to get offered a contract by Helmut Marco after this race. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think something must have happened. Uh, and he is just... what Whatever whatever change he made, just keep doing it, bud. Yeah. You're, you're looking 
looking real good now. Yeah, if, if they can keep up the role with the investment that Darlton Capital is giving Williams and they can keep getting good results like this, we could see them legitimately climb up to the top of the midfield in the next couple of years. So I, I'm all for good. that. So, heck, let's let's go. And that's still, that's still back in that conversation about how Formula One works. They're yeah. looking great pulling out, you know, what was the what were the results here? Uh yeah, he finished seventh and then seventh. Yeah. Oh man, Williams would kill for a seventh two years ago. Mm. Yeah. You know, like literally sacrifice the firstborn child of any employee who would give it up just to be in the top ten. And I mean, that's just that's the state of Formula One. It's kind of sad. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it kind of sucks, but you know, it's a totally different sport. It is a totally different sport from any other form of racing. It's it's all flash and no substance. Yeah. Um, Norris would take eighth um, in the McLaren. Um, he would have been in or around where Piastri was prior to his contact with Hamilton. Um, you know, McLaren looked okay, not as good as they were in the last couple of races, but Monza isn't really a track that suits them particularly well. Um, not nowadays anyway. So I'll, I'll be more interested to see how they do uh, the next race at Singapore. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes or whether their trajectory is still looking upward. Uh, ninth would go to Fernando Alonso. Uh, it, you know, Aston just didn't look particularly like they, they, they looked in the background very much this weekend. It, it's, it highlights what I said a couple of shows ago about how, every week there seems to be another car that's the second fastest and they all seem to fight over it and no one ever seems to make proper momentum. Um, and yeah, this was a weekend where Aston basically didn't show up. Um, final point will go to Valtteri Bottas in the, in the Alfa Romeo um, in a livery, which I think they need to keep for the rest of the season. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Was it different? Yeah, it's no, it's, it's an Italian flag uh, inspired livery, and it looks looks absolutely beautiful. Um, we didn't even mention the Ferrari uh, livery. They were paying tribute to the hypercar team after their Le Mans win, and they introduced some more yellow onto the car. And that also, sh- um, I I think, should stay uh, for the rest of the year. They probably won't. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Ferrari <laughs> did prove that you can paint a car to look like a fast one and it still won't make you win, um, which is a little bit. They, they should definitely keep the livery, but get rid of those matching overalls because it made them look like. I like the workers. overalls, to be honest. It, it looked very retro 90s. Man, I must have been sick because I don't remember. <laughs> I watched the race live. I Ups. woke up for it. And Some, I somebody, don't remember fucking any of this. Somebody man. took one of the promo pictures of the drivers in the suits, and then they put them behind a McDonald's counter, and that ruined it for me. I mean, oh, man. It, it, that is it, but you know that that's that is what they look like in the nineties, and it still looks cool. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bonus will get the final point. Just outside of the points was Liam Lawson, and as I said after, like he really impressed me in Zandvoort with how he jumped in with only one practice session. And, and in such a chaotic weekend in terms of the conditions, he kept it out of the, out of the barriers and, and, you know, I think he finished 13th or something. Uh, this time, with a full weekend under his belt, full practice session, everything, he looked at home. Um, it, we don't really know how he would have fared to Yuki, as Yuki uh, had an engine failure on the formation lap and was a did not start. Um, but Lawson looked right at home. He looked 
I, again, we don't really know what AlphaTauri were capable of, but he looked good. Like, I, I do kind of wish they were keeping him for the rest of the season, to be honest. Yeah. He, he, I think his time in Super Formula has really done him good in terms of his development. Um, like, we knew he had a whole bunch of talent and he performed well in F2, but I think him actually competing for a Super Formula championship and showing that pedigree that he has or that he's built himself into such a, a much more complete driver than I think he was initially. And now he's getting to prove both his talent and his progression in F1. I think he's definitely earned the seat. We'll see what happens when Ricardo gets healthy enough. I don't think he'll be back for Singapore, um, but maybe the race afterwards. At the moment, um, they're they talking pre- very much as though it'll be Qatar, not even Japan. They're, they're thinking Damn. start of October. I need to watch more Super Formula. You do. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've heard. <laughs> I've watched a couple of races. You know, I hear good things about it. It's just uh, hard to watch. Are there are there fun. English broadcasts? Yes, of on Super YouTube Formula? there are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I will have to check it out. I might just watch a Japanese broadcast. Fuck it. Oh, it's it's great. I, I highly recommend watch yeah, it in right. English, and then if it's really exciting, just watch a bit of it in Japanese commentary, because Japanese yeah. motorsport commentary, Japanese commentary on anything is fucking awesome. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. <laughs> it's, I can listen to it all fucking day. I don't care if it's a stupid game show where they're trying to figure out what objects in the house are made of candy, or if it's racing. I'll I'll watch anything Japanese. I don't give a shit. It's uh, it's fun. You ever seen Takeshi's <laughs> Castle? Yeah. Yes. That's fucking yes. awesome. I love that. Uh, so in America, we have a show called Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, and it's just Takeshi's Castle with English overdubs. Excellent. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's all the reruns. Check it out. Look it up. It's great. <laughs> I love Takeshi's Castle so much. Um, so yeah, Lawson finished 11th. Um, Piastri <laughs> fell back to 12th after his incident. <laughs> um, Logan Sargent finished 13th. You know, there's there, people are having more and more questions about Logan Sargent. Uh, he is making progress, and obviously, Albon is proving that the Williams can finish in the points more often than not now. So, I agree that maybe within the final few races of this season, I would like to see Sargent make an improvement and perhaps get some points if a weekend allows it. But I do think that people maybe are being a little bit too harsh on Logan when you consider it's still his rookie season. Um, there is such a lack of testing when you come to formula one and the the differences between formula two and formula one are so massive you know the formula two car isn't that representative of what you experience when you get to formula one so uh, in the same way that i feel like nick de Vries wasn't given a chance to really show what he could do i think logan deserves the full season before we start having start having these conversations and you know if a suitable replacement comes up which could help williams going forward then yeah, replace him then. But equally, I would not be mad at all if Williams gave Logan a second season to show what he can do in a season where he's going back toward the same racetracks and has that running start. Um, they should. He's, impre- they- he's, he's impressed me. He, he's, he's done better than I thought he was going to do, but he now just needs a chance to continue growing. Yeah, He's been doing really good. I mean, you don't hear about him, excluding Zanvoort last weekend. You don't see anything really bad happen with Sargent throughout the season. He's not wrecking every practice session. And when it is, it's Carl's fault, not his. And and he's not finishing last. He's, you know, he's in there. If stuff were to happen, he can get points. He, yeah, Albon's just 
having a monster season right now, but he has what three, four seasons of F one experience. Mm. You know, like Sargent is doing great as a rookie. Yeah, especially yeah. in, in it, how competitive that car is. It t- it's taking Alex Albon Herculean efforts to get it into the points, and he's been only a couple spots outside of it. He's doing great. Un- unless you're like a, a team like Haas, where every every race is a scramble, you know, <laughs> to see to see what's going to happen. But I, I feel like if Williams is going to hire a rookie, uh, they need to invest in him. Yeah, you know, uh, Haas. Haas didn't have a choice in the way things have played out with like all of their rookie drivers that they've had and, and, and things like that. They, they are struggling to maintain uh, a spot on the grid. Right. And so they have to do, they have to do all kinds of weird, crazy sponsorship deals. And sometimes that includes firing all your rookie, (laughs) (laughs) but, but for Williams, they're not, they're not having that problem right now. They're not having, I mean, they, they're, uh, their investment firm that took them is not going to run out of money funding this Formula One team. So if you're going to hire a rookie, as they did, they need to keep him for a couple of years. Invest in him. Make it an investment. You know, there's a lot of things that Alex can teach him with the with the few years of experience that he's had. Because as you said, it's it's a it's a huge jump going from uh, Formula Two to Formula One. I've I've heard guys explain it's like going from Formula Three to Formula Two is fine, but it's the the jump from two to one is like a hundred times the intensity from two to three, mm. or from three to two rather. It's it's just it it is insane. I mean I think we've all seen that the the video of uh, uh what's his name from Top Gear, uh, Hammond. Yeah, when when Hammond went and drove the formula one car for a day and they worked his way up you know four three two and then finally gave him some laps in the formula one car it was in such an eye-opener i obviously the whole thing was kind of played up for (laughs) for the show but on top gear no nah never but but yeah it's it's a huge jump williams need to keep him he's going to be a good driver you know i think he's proved himself just needs time time in the car yeah uh just rounding out the final few bits uh joe finished 14th gasly finished 15th as the highest alpine in a weekend where they went from you know they were on the podium last time out and here they both out in q1 uh they did nothing all race ocon retired and i don't even remember how or when nobody mentioned it um that just kind of happened so that was interesting yeah um, Lance Stroll finished 16th in a weekend where it was confirmed that he will be remaining with the team next year. Uh, he, apparently, there were no plans to ever change him. Aston Martin I mean, say that you don't say. <laughs> Aston Martin say that they don't see any performance gap between Alonso and Stroll. Uh, so he demonstrated that by finishing 40 seconds behind him. Um, you know, <laughs> My detective determined that, that was a lie. Quite interesting. <laughs> you know, no performance gap between them, but you know, Alonso's got 170 points and several podiums, and Stroll's got 47 and a dicky hand. <laughs> you know, it's, it's. But other than that, there's no performance advantage anywhere. Interestingly, they did. I forgot they announced at the start of the season that for Aston Martin's new performance engineer was Stevie Wonder. So I mean, that does kind of <laughs> kind of tracks. <laughs> You're going to kill Greg. That's the goal. Um, you know, no party's a party until someone's dead. Um, 
yeah. What, what can you oh, say? That made me sweaty. <laughs> what can you say? You know, there were all sorts of rumors that, that Lance was going to go and do tennis. Uh, he said that whilst he enjoys tennis, he isn't going to do that because he prefers racing. I'd like to see him race. Um, but, you know, we'll see about that. Why do we talk so much shit about Lance Stroll? He's actually a good fucking no, driver. And this is the thing. I am one, I am one of his <laughs> most staunch defenders over the years. I really have. I, I repeat, repeatedly go back to, you know, the, when he won the European Formula 3 championship, he dominated that bitch. And you don't dominate a championship as competitive as European Formula 3 if you aren't talented. He is talented. You know, he, he's incredible in the wet sometimes. You know, not Russia or when his engineer asked him if he can stay out on tires and immediately bins it on his day. He's really good, but it's just on yeah. his day is like one in every three sixty four, And he's, yeah. he's the nickel back of the formula. One. <laughs> Everybody just wants to talk shit about Lance Stroll and for good reason. In my opinion, he is now the driver. He deserved to get to formula one. Yeah. He didn't deserve to be fast tracked to formula one, but you know, nepotism. Um, right. You know, and he des- and there were times where he showed that he should be on the grid. He now doesn't deserve to be on the grid. There are multiple people, even just within Aston Martin, who could do a better job than Lance Stroll is doing, i.e. Felipe Drogovic or Stoffel van Dorn. Either of them yeah. would be superb. And I think and I repeat I'm I'm disappointed that this year hasn't done what I thought it would have done. You you don't get to a position like you are as Lawrence Stroll you know, an incredibly successful businessman, you don't get to that position without being smart. And I would have thought that this year would have finally demonstrated to him that he needs two capable drivers in his cars. The fact that Alonso is still third in the championship and Aston Martin are now fourth in the constructors, that that demonstrates to me that you clearly have a problem with your second driver and you need to replace them. And I, I'm disappointed that they haven't come to realize that. This is the I mean, only way he is capable of expressing that he has love for his second favorite son, Lance Stroll. He has the money to his- fund an Aston Martin hypercar program and put him in that, like as an am. Um, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I, I'm I, I, I I'm going to have to actually have to disagree with you uh, on on whether or not he deserves a seat in Formula One. Does he deserve a seat in Aston Martin, given the performance that the car has had with Fernando Alonso behind the wheel? I'm going to agree and say no. But I do think he's more deserving than, say, uh, Joe. Or Joe has matched Valtteri Bottas, who matched Hamilton multiple times in Mercedes. So that's that's I, that's I, that's a fair comment. That is fair. But I'm still gonna say, <laughs> I, I, I honestly, with the amount of people that are trying to get into Formula One right now, you know, you've got the likes of, of, of Pato Award, Alex Pelot, you know, you've got multiple people Fair in enough. Formula Two, uh, Colton Herder as well, you know, Teo Porcher, um, Oli Behrman, Victor Martins. You've got so many people who should be on this grid instead of Lance Stroll. Um, I mean, I mean he, look, he would make the short list of people to kick out. He he's the first uh, to on make my list, for sure. Because I, I wouldn't say he's the first. I, I would say the two Haas drivers. I love you, Kevin Magnuson. I really do. I really do. But you go somewhere else, please. Um, the Hulkenberg out. Uh, Zhou Guan Yu out. Uh, Esteban Ocon. I'm just tired of seeing his face. You've been around for what, like ten <laughs> years by now. Hey, he's won the Grand Prix though. A uh, uh, Grand Prix in how? How long? many stroll one? <laughs> <laughs> Stroll hasn't been in Formula One for ten years. Uh, 
he's been in, been in there he's been longer. In the same time as Ocon. Has he really? Ocon's debut yeah. was in 2016. Stroll's debut was in 2017. Okay, one year. <laughs> so we give him one more year, and then he's out. <laughs> I thought I thought Ocon was well. I, honestly, I thought Ocon had been in. Much ah, no. Than so him. so yeah. So he joined with Manor. He was then kicked out. Had a year off, and then came back with uh, racing. racing Point. So yeah. So, it, so it seems. So he was like, there for 2014. He was out for 2015. No, no. So he, he was in for 2016, out for 17, and then in from 18, if I remember rightly. So okay, a little yeah, bit. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That right. makes sense. So actually, Stroll's been here longer. Um, <laughs> so this is why we need more teams. Yeah, exactly. To That's have the all these we need more teams there. because there's such a demand for people to get maybe in. You're right. Um, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I'll flip flop and just go ahead and agree with you because I mean, th- but there's there's a lot of people there's, though. <laughs> there's no one on the grid who can't drive. I, I'm not saying that Stroll cannot drive, but he can. As I said, really really capable driver on his day. Mm-hmm. I would just like to see, like. I, I would have preferred it if there wasn't a guarantee that he's always going to be on the grid no matter what he does. And I don't think he really... Like now, I think we're at an obvious point where he doesn't really. But Nepo baby. <laughs> and we'll talk about another series full of Nepo babies later on when we talk about NASCAR. Um, that <laughs> kind of rounds out the race action for Formula One. Very quickly, we'll talk about the support series that were on at Monza. Um, the Formula Two sprint race was one was uh, the, the Formula Two sprint race was won, easy for me to say, by Frederick <laughs> Vesti, um, who looked to be trying to uh, keep himself in the championship fight and close to within about eight points. Uh, he followed that up the next day by being binned off into the wall um, by um, oh I don't remember his name. Uh, Roman Stanek with one of the worst blocks I've ever seen since, well, that day when Alex Bowman then did it later on. But we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that essentially, yeah, Vesti ended up retiring from that sprint race and uh, from the feature race and is now um, quite far behind Teo Porcher heading into what will be the final round in a couple of m- months' time. Um, the feature race would end up being won by Oli Behrman in the Prima in front of the Italian crowd, which was the happiest the Ferrari fans would be all day. Um, with uh, Yumo Iwasa finishing second and Teo Porcher extending his championship lead with a third place finish. Um, the championship, yeah, well, next race at Abu Dhabi, which is at the end of November, beginning of December, end of November. That far. Two Good months Lord. of a gap. It is ludicrous. They should not have a two because one, you know, you've got a two month gap for everyone to forget that Formula Two exists before suddenly deciding the championship. And B, you've got all these young drivers hoping to negotiate contracts for the following season, and they're going to have to wait to see what they do in Formula Two before they do so. I, I, it's terrible scheduling. I hate it. Um, on the flip side, Formula Three, who were also racing at Monza, they ended their championship this weekend. Um, with Gabriel Bortoletto rounding out the championship in qualifying um, after none of his rivals were able to take pole position to stay within mathematical contention. So Bortoletto now has is crowned the 2023 GP3 champion. Uh, GP3? What year is this? Formula 3 champion, despite only having won two races. Um, 
the sprint race would be won by Franco Colapinto, with the feature race being won by Johnny Edgar. I believe that was his first win in Formula 3. A um, couple of bits of off-track news to talk about before we move on from Formula 1. First of which, whilst we're on the subject of the support series, and we mentioned it earlier, the new Formula 2 car was unveiled. Um, it looks great. Uh, the, yeah. the rear wing is going to take some time for me to get used to. It looks a little bit much, but obviously they're following the same trend of having a really high sloped wing to try and get as rid of much turbulent air as possible. So with that, with knowing what it's doing, I can live with it because it should make the racing better. We'll, uh, Somebody, we'll call it so, trickle-down design philosophies. Somebody copy-pasted the Super Formula Wing and put it on this new F2 car. <laughs> that's what that's what it looks like it does look, look oh, similar no, too with it like too. with, like, with the, the, the curved and yeah. high rear back look at the f2 car concept for the rear wing and then look at the super formula car heck even the shark fin rear cut out that's from super formula someone did copy pasta and then took out the push to pass and said boom there's your new f2 car <laughs> well i mean what they actually did was they took a lot of design cues from formula one and just moved it down to this body kit and that happens to be what super formula is already yeah so if it makes the racing as good as super formula is then hooray (laughs) um but you know formula 2 have put on good races this year anyway and now that they're leading to a a car that's gonna encourage more close racing and it will actually be closer racing because it's not formula one i think formula 2 next year could be absolutely banging um what What's the problem with all these series? Like NASCAR, Formula One, their support series have so much better racing in cars than their top premier series. This is just embarrassing at this point. I should just only watch races on Saturdays because the cars are better. Honestly. The slower the car, the better the racing. It's true. Yeah. It is true. It's not I mean, all about I mean, performance. Watch the Miatas. A hundred percent. VIR. VIR, race one, you could have thrown a picnic blanket over the top four. Or thrown a car into the, back the line. top five. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's happened in race two. Yeah. My God, um, oh, man. yeah, no, all I, all four gone. <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, Bowling this is for a, lovers in Virginia. This is very much a, a good step forward for Formula Two. So I'm excited to see what they do next year. And the final bit of off-track news from Formula One um, was something that we kind of known was happening for the last couple of months, but it was finally announced. Uh, Mercedes confirmed a new contract with Lewis Hamilton another two-year contract as well. So he will be racing until the end of 2025. Simultaneously, they confirmed George Russell will remain for the same period as well, at least. Um, Lewis is already talking about the next contract as well. We, we mentioned earlier, you know, Max has made no secret about what he wants to do after Formula One. And it, I, I'm still convinced that at the end of his current contract, which I believe lasts until the end of 27 or 28, um, I'm convinced Max will eat, will retire from Formula One at that point. So the question now, with with Hamilton signing until 2025 and talking about another contract after that, does Hamilton somehow stay in Formula One longer than Verstappen? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's been brought up in the past of Lewis going to do different other other championships, and he's expressed almost zero interest in it. Yeah, he like doesn't he want it. Ex- like, like he's like done a ride swap with Tony Stewart and a ride swap with Valentino Rossi, but he's never expressed like, Oh, I want to go race in this series or that series. He's like, Oh, I want to do my music producing or film producing kind of stuff. He, or do philanthropy work. He doesn't care about racing outside of F1. And 
I mean, he never more power to him. Yeah. I mean, more power to him if that's the way he chooses to to go out. How old was anybody? How old was he when he signed his first contract with McLaren? Uh, like ten. Ten. (laughs) Oh, 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 you're you're all about the first one. Yeah, Uh, the first, the first one with McLaren. He's been with them for thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't gonna stop. No, and it's it's the only thing he's ever cared about. I mean, that's why he's a seven-time world champion. He's accomplished everything there is to do and more in F1. Yeah. Why he doesn't have the desire to do that anywhere else. Though the only question I do really have for Lewis is what kind of toppings he put on his pizza in his negotiations with Toto Wolf. I bet it's not corn. Yeah, because corn kernels would be just disgusting. That would be stupid. gross to put on pizza. I don't know who does yeah. that, but yeah, that'd be really whoever dumb. puts corn on pizza, uh, just... I don't know. You're a weird, <laughs> weird yeah. person. So anyway, we'll see yeah, what you... Lewis can do in the final two. <laughs> <laughs> final, uh, well, not the final two, but the next two years of his contract, contract, contract. <laughs> um, corn Lord over here. Corn belongs on a pizza. Fuck you. Um, that'll do it for the first half. Uh, of this of this week's Into the Bad podcast because somehow we've managed to speak an hour on Formula One, a series that we continually try and say that we hate. Join us in the second half. We do this every week. Every week. Every <laughs> week. It's like, oh, let's try and speed it up a little. Nah, we can't. Um, join us in the second half where we will talk about IndyCar at Portland and NASCAR at Darlington. So join us shortly after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. Going to the weekend with the End of the Apex podcast, reliably producing sim racing and iRacing banter for over three years. Tyler, Bradley, Patrick, and Rob come together each week to hang out, and everyone's invited. Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the End of the Paddock podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the End of the Apex Motorsport podcast network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark, OnlyFans Into the Apex, Infowars Into the Apex. We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, It's provocative. It's everything we do here at the End of the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to endoftheapex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Podcast Network. Network. And welcome back to the second part of this week's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. Before we get underway, 
Uh, this is your usual reminder to follow us on all our various social media platforms. We are at Into the Paddock. That's with the number two on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Um, there you can stay up to date with when our latest episodes go live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. UK time. Um, also, be sure to check out the affiliated podcast on the Into the Apex podcast network and also subscribe to the Into the Apex YouTube channel to see video clips from our show and sister shows. Um, also, if you check out on our link tree, which is all on all of our social media channels, I have uh, we, we've recently made a YouTube channel and a, a unbelievably for a boomer like me, a TikTok um, account that we will hopefully be utilizing at some point. There's nothing there yet. But if you want to drop us a follow on either of those things in preparation, I, I'd like to start utilizing them a little bit more. Um, so check those out. And um, again, if, you, if you're a fan of everything here on the Into the Apex podcast network, you can also subscribe for 99 cents a month for premium access to exclusive content. So yeah, check all of that out at intotheapex.com. Uh, we'll kick off our second half of the show talking about IndyCar, the penultimate round of the season at Portland. And for the first time in 17 years, a driver has won the championship, spoiler alert, before the final round of the season. Um, Alex Polo, you know, we'll get on to what happened in the race in a little bit. Um, but, you know, the main thing from this weekend is just uh, uh, it further underlines how incredible the partnership between Polo and Ganassi is right now. And, you know, similarly to what we said about how when you get a driver in form with their team in Formula One, like Verstappen and Red Bull are. It's the same anywhere, but to do it in IndyCar, a series that's so competitive, it's what it's one of, if not the most competitive championships in the world, at least these premier championships. Um, you know, it's almost spec cars. Yes, you have things that you can change. There are definitely faster and slower cars, but the competition is so, so huge and everything's so unpredictable and you have to be so good at so many different types of racetrack to do well. So to manage to dominate in such a way that Pelot has done this year and to win before the final round is incredible. Um, and, and whilst it, it might seem a little bit hypocritical that I go on and on about how Formula One is nothing but a driver dominating, but with all of those factors, I think when you get somebody do it in IndyCar, it has to be celebrated. It's incredible. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, you have to celebrate it when it is legitimately the driver making a the huge difference in the results of all these races and championships. Like we said with F1, it's, oh, it's a manufacturer's championship. Ferrari builds a good car. Mercedes builds a good car. Red Bull builds a good car. For IndyCar, he is beating everybody on pure driving talent and merit. And just to see this utter display of domination throughout this whole season on every single type of track, as you said, just shows the versatility and skill that everybody in the series has. So, and I tip my hat to, to Alex Pillow, done a remarkable job, second championship in three seasons with Chip Ganassi racing against the legs of Scott Dixon, six-time champion, Joseph Newgarden, two-time champion, Will Power, defending champion. These None of these guys are slouches. So great great for Alex, great for, for Chip Ganassi, and you know we'll see what the future holds for him, but he is definitely a, a talent that needs to be celebrated. And you said there two championships in three seasons. It's two championships in four. That you said uh, two two championships in three seasons with Ganassi. It's it's also two championships in four seasons of IndyCar total. 
that's what's unbelievable about this. They so they put up a stat during the broadcast where if you compare, I think it, it was a 63rd start in IndyCar or something like that. And if you could put him on a board ranking the best drivers in their first 63 starts, the only people ahead of him are Foyt yeah. and Andretti. That's yeah. absolutely insane. Especially, again, in this modern era of IndyCar where it is a lot more competitive than, say, it could have been in the, in like the older days of IndyCar when there was a lot yeah. more difference between cars. It, it's it's incredible and and the way in which he took this championship again after the last two weekends where scott dixon won and and emerged as a potential you know long shot threat to polo um polo ended up winning this race again with one race to spare he you know he could have very easily settled for safe points for the final two races and he would have easily taken the championship but the way in which he won the championship at Portland and the way in which he won the race in Portland, because he ended up winning it, was very much a Scott Dixon method of winning it. And it, it was a, an incredible strategy. Uh, you know, he qualified fifth um, with with Graham Rahal taking his second pole of the season, his second pole in the last three races, I believe. Yeah. Incredible lap from Graham um, to, to just pip Scott McLaughlin, who... who um, took pole position and won the race last year I, I i did he take pole last year i know he won the race I last year i don't remember um but either way yes. very good at portland and in a penske so so in- incredible that ray hall uh once again has you know this late season surge he's having is really really cool to see um colton herter was third behind behind ray hall and mclaughlin with dixon fourth and Pelot fifth at the start, we know how chaotic Portland has been for, re- for, for race starts since it rejoined the calendar and even before that uh, in, in its previous tenure in IndyCar. Polo played it relatively safe in the first corner, gave himself lots of space around, loads of room to, to stay out of trouble. And then immediately, as soon as he was out of the danger zone, bang, passed yeah. two cars up into third place. And then immediately into a strategy that gave him a huge lead halfway through of like 10 seconds or something over Dixon. He in in a race that was dominated by the primary tires, that the main thing that kind of won or lost the race for people was how well they managed their mandatory stint on the alternates. The gap closed between Polo and Dixon behind him, but ultimately he managed it. He played it to perfection. Ended up winning the race by five point four seconds over a late surge from Felix Rosenquist on on alternate tires. Eight seconds ahead of Dixon on a similar on a on a similar strategy to him. It was a Scott Dixon yeah. way of winning a race and a championship. Yeah, I mean, it's it really, incredible. Like you said, it came down to the strategy call, especially early in the race. Like what tire the driver started on determined how the race was going to go. It seemed like as you had Ray Hall and Scotty Mack both start on the softer alternate reds, you know, and then their pace, they had to do a full stint on those reds and their pace fell off. They fell behind. Meanwhile, everyone who started on blacks, you're, you're, uh, Dixon's and your Pelos, they were able to keep on surging throughout the whole race. And then Dixon should have had P2 if there wasn't a late race caution that was thrown way too late <clears throat> that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, yeah, we'll get yeah, into this, that. Scott Dixon taught Alex Pelot way too well, and The Apprentice is really becoming the master. He's taught him how to fuel safe, taught him how to save tires and manage yeah. races, and he's just killing it. Portland always gives us good on-track action for how small it is and relatively flat. They put on a, a really good show with with the drivers battling each other on the differing strategies. So, 
yeah, it, it was great. I hate it for Scotty Mack. I'm a fan of his, but they were just on the wrong strategy at the wrong time. And it just bit him and Ray Hall in the butt. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing with the late caution. You know, Palo managed to win by 5.4 seconds, eight seconds over his teammate on the same strategy with a 23 green, a 23 lap green flag run at the end. That was it. That's how much he managed to win by. And that's how much they had in the closing stages of this race. In, in, incredible way for him to win the championship. Um, again, it seems as though his only weakness he has right now is off track politics. And even then, hopefully it's now behind him with the whole, you know, we're still waiting to see what happens from this lawsuit with McLaren. They're, they're apparently seeking tens of millions of dollars um, from him, which is, you know, it's not going to be great, but um, he, he seems now to have main, hopefully settled with Ganassi for a little bit now. And that's worrying yeah. for everyone else on the grid. You know, if they are allowed to have a season, with no drama whatsoever off the track, you know, th- what he's done this season has been in the midst of more contract dramas and came after last year where he was act- actually trying to have a lawsuit with his own team. You know, if he, after a couple of years of stability, it, what more could he do? It like, shows the champion mindset that he has on the track that he can have all this stuff going on and still have that mental fortitude and focus to just go out there and dominate and do what he needs to do on the track. Because even having a, a quote unquote off year last year, he still finished what like top five on the points. You know, now in mm. in between the that like he's he's bookmarked that with two championship wins in the second one, definitely a dominating fashion. He just needs to go talk to Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, see how to do contract negotiations over a pizza and a nice latte. You know, it's just, you know, he can't keep doing this. <laughs> Any milk is fine. Um, God's sake. Um, and you say corn's bad on pizza. At least I don't say any milk's fine. Um, yeah, it looked as though it was going to be a one, two for Ganassi for the longest time. Um, to win the championship this round, Polo just needed a podium with Dixon needing to at least finish in the top two if Polo didn't finish in the top three to carry it on to Laguna Seca. It, it looked as though yeah. Ganassi had it won either way this weekend and overall. Um, but in the closing stages, we saw a caution come out which really benefited Felix Rosenfist, who would ultimately go on to finish second after a late surge. However, this caution was I think one of a couple of things that kind of left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth around this race. And for me, it's not often that I say that about IndyCar because it's my beloved, but you know, unlike diehard fans of another series, it's, it's healthy to look at the areas where, where sports can improve, where different championships can improve. And I think what that for me, one of the main things that IndyCar needs to improve and stop doing is delaying caution periods. So this happened when we saw, um, Augustine Canapino spin out in turn 11 uh, on lap 85 and it was right in the middle or right at the end of a pit stop cycle the only driver who had not pitted was Felix Rosenqvist um, so what IndyCar did and this isn't the first time they've done this they've done it a couple of times this year but they've really started doing it over the last two or so they delayed the caution they left it green for enough time for Rosenqvist to come down and make his pit stop and get back out of the pits. And then they threw the, the caution. Um, they've, they've done this before because basically they don't want to influence the course of the race. They don't want to interrupt somebody's driver strategy. Now 
my first point, and and this isn't the most important one, by not influencing the race, like by by allowing Rosenqvist to have this stop, you are still influencing the race because, as Dixon pointed out, in a rare moment where he was very very angry, we don't hear that a lot from the Ice Man. Rosenqvist then didn't have to go through his outlap period, whereas everyone else who had done their pit stops under green had to. And as we saw earlier in the race, when the likes of um, Scotty Mack and Graham Rahal came out of the pits, it's it's terrifying when you come out of the pits. There are cars flying by you on hot tires. It's uh, it, your your outlap could be seconds slower easily, even at a track like this, which is only fifty eight seconds a lap. Um, so, so to not have to do that, to come out of the pits and immediately get a caution is a massive advantage to the driver that just bit. So already your idea of not wanting to influence the race is completely flawed. Rosenqvist would not have finished second had this race not had this race been yellow flagged. The biggest thing for me is just the pure safety concerns. Yeah, and that's that's what the the second point. Yeah, it, it's you can't leave a car in a firing line. If it it's needs a caution, the fastest it's a part of the track where the cars are flying into there at 180 miles an hour through this really fast chicane, and his car is just parked up there 20 feet off the racing surface, helpless installed. And they just left him out there while going through a pit cycle where you have people on hot and cold tires firing it in there, battling hard because it's the last cycle for the end of the race. And they just left it open. If somebody made a mistake during any of those battles that we're watching, and we know people like were touching wheels and stuff during that period, it could have ended so terribly. I, I, I know I love IndyCar, not as much as you, but I still love it dearly. I hate it how they are doing this this season. I know they kind of started doing it the past couple of seasons, but it's not just them. It's also IMSA. I've seen them do similar things with cars and firing lines, delaying cautions to not affect the race. But you throw cautions and safety cars for safety first. The race be darned. You got to protect these guys for themselves because they may see a, a yellow in one of the corners. They are not slowing down. You have to protect these guys for themselves in these situations and protect the guys who are helpless to help themselves. Throw these stupid cautions when it's necessary for safety, for goodness sake. Yeah, if you need a caution, you need it. You put it out immediately. I, I know there's this idea you don't want to ruin the race or something, but that's racing. You know, an inopportune timed caution or a safety car or, or mechanical failure, you know, shit happens. Racing is unpredictable. All sorts of circumstances can happen. And you know, it's it's only a matter of time if series and and you're completely right. IMSA have done this as well in the last couple of seasons as well. It's only a matter of time before one of these series delay a yellow and a situation is exacerbated by them not throwing the yellow out. It's only a matter of time before someone goes steaming into a stationary car or or something like that because they wanted to not affect the race. It's it's, it's complacency because nothing terrible's happened um, in IMSA or IndyCar in the past five years and they got to stop it get smacked out of them before someone gets hurt yeah yeah something's definitely gonna happen (laughs) eventually right i think i haven't seen as much uproar about it as i have after this one it seemed a lot more people were paying attention this time so hopefully indycar listen um and and make that change if not immediately then in the postseason prior to the 2024 season um 
it, it's just not a good idea. And, and you know, it's the, the other criticism I have with this race is another race control decision. It, it seems as though they're, it's not consistent. They, they tend to pick and choose what rules they apply. And in this instance, I've got to talk about below earlier in the race. He comes out of the pits and is defending from, I believe it was Elio Castroneves, um, uh, whilst Polo was on cold tires and Polo blocked. He, he moved off the racing line to block and then moved back again to block. That's reactionary blocking. It's the definition of reactionary blocking. And yet race control, the incident was never even sent to them for review. It wasn't even as if they, they called no action. They never looked at it. Like that's the definition of reactionary blocking. And, and I, you know, I will say that IndyCar's consistency when it comes to rules and more importantly, the speed of which they make decisions is one of the best, if not the best in motorsport certainly better than formula one which take two to three working days to come up with a decision about whether something crossed the <laughs> line or not so you know I, I i i will praise them when they do a really good job and they do often you know we often get decisions made within the same lap an incident took place um but i think they need to maybe look at every incident that happens and not like the fact that this never was even looked at. Like I could understand an argument if they had come back and said no further action and they had explained why, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it looked to me like an egregious use of, of blocking, but you know, we didn't, we never even got an opportunity to hear what yeah, the I mean, TV for. looked at look. it more than the Stewart say Towson Bell and James Hanscom are like, really? They're yeah. not looking at this. <laughs> and, you know, and they just kept on carrying on with the race, but like, even, I, I disagree a little bit. I don't think all of it was blocking. I think the first move definitely was blocking. I think the second move was quote unquote moving back to the racing line. Um, but but then that's that's yeah, that's the man do one or the other. At this yeah. point, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, he made two moves before a corner entry. Everyone's standard rules: real racing, sim racing. You get one move before corner entry. You start doing two or more. That's that's a no no that's bad yeah <laughs> and then later on you know they, they they were more than happy to have a look and they obviously should have with the um moment between ericsson hunter ray. and um no not ericsson hunter ray kirkwood. and um kirkwood rather um and they gave kirkwood a penalty for that that was blocking <laughs> which which led to that contact um I don't believe they look. I, I think they decided with Ericsson that there was no further action. And I think I can kind of understand that. It seemed a little bit of a strange one. So I think you had three different interpretations of what was or wasn't blocking during the course of one race. So I'd like to see the consistency. I mean, it was refreshing just to see uh, with Kirkwood's situation, at least that uh, a Verstappen got penalized, um, you know, pulling a Verstappen because he was squeezing <laughs> Hunter Ray off the track like Max does and uh Stewart said no. So <laughs> yeah, but then this is another thing that I would like IndyCar to look into because you can't do that on a straight, but then in corners you're more than able to push people completely off into the grass if they're on your outside or into a wall. You know, it seems a little bit weird as to what IndyCar thinks is and isn't acceptable. Um you know, we've seen multiple times this year drivers just completely wheel-to-wheel contact someone off off of the track you know you think back to pato yeah. at long beach on dixon i'm shocked that that wasn't the penalty there was some some multiple occasions down at the hairpin um in this race where where people were just sent off into the grass with no even attempt to try and leave them any space yeah. no action nothing 
So I, I get that IndyCar is meant to be aggressive, but there's a difference between aggressive driving and, and sending I, someone I, to fucking I, Narnia. So I, I say I, this I'd like very tongue in cheekly as well, uh, but we should just allow Fernando Alonso to write all the driving standards rule books, and he he's already written it. Just that we need to put it down on paper. All the time you have to leave the space for the guy that you're racing, whether you're passing or defending. You know, end of rule book racing 101. <laughs> That's, That's the it. sole clause you need yeah, to cover the whole situation. So. Uh, I will take my royalties, and I'm sure Alonzo will definitely take his for uh, the distribution <laughs> of the rule book. Of course. <laughs> you don't get to his paycheck yep. without taking royalties. Um, but yeah, those were really my only criticisms, and, and, and you know, other than sort of existential things like, you know, does the series need a new car, and, and does they need, do they need new marketing? When it comes to the racing action... Those are really the only criticisms I have. Yeah, I mean, nice. We know they're getting the, the hybrid <laughs> engines and everything I've seen and what people have said. They drive exactly the same. They sound exactly the same. So it will be the same racing product in the end. So, I mean, well, they're actually power seems to think that it will be better next year, like drivability wise, because they'll be able to do a lot more with with how the hybrid unit affects your braking and how much like turn in that will give you at the rear end so he seems to think it'll actually hey. improve the racing so fucking hell when was the last time was last time will power says something positive about the series um, <laughs> correct <laughs> <laughs> correct if you've got power on side you know you're doing but, a good fucking job um so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and ask the question mm. um obviously i didn't i wasn't able to watch the race uh well i'm not gonna say that i chose to watch nascar on sunday rather than watch IndyCar on Sunday. I was going to watch it this morning. Things didn't transpire. Which race yes. should I have watched? Did I Was I good with the NASCAR race? Or should I have watched the IndyCar race? You were correct no matter what, because they were yeah. both great for different reasons. Uh, okay. IndyCar was okay. another really, really good strategy race with really good racing in between. You know, strategy yeah. races don't have to be boring, and it was a really good one. Um, mm -hmm. And as we'll talk about with the NASCAR race later on, it was probably the race of the season for them as well. So the correct answer is you should have watched both. Um. <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch the IndyCar race purely just to watch, you know, I mean, yeah, plow wins, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so. and, and as we said earlier, the way in which he won, it was really, really impressive. And yeah. And yeah, up and up and down the field, it was just exciting. Uh, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, with regards to the cold tires after pit stops, the lap that that McLaughlin and Rahal came out of the pits on cold tires, and you had cars flying up the inside of them on warm tires, that was intense. So yeah, definitely worth watching this one back. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to talk about. Yeah, so Polo ended up winning with Rosenquist second, benefiting from that bullshit delayed caution. Scott Dixon. Dixon, brilliant. Sean Connery in the room. <laughs> Scott Dixon ended up finishing third. All right, Mr. Bond. <laughs> God, I hate James Bond. Scott Dixon ended up finishing third in a race that he really could have and should have finished second. Pato Award was on course. Uh, Greg's chastising me for not liking James Bond. Uh, I, I have a 1964 or five copy of The Spy Who Loved Me. I bought it at the airport in Wisconsin. Oh, sorry, you mean The Spy? <laughs> <laughs> um, Pano Award finished fourth. Uh, very could have easily been on the podium. Uh, nevertheless, I think it's like his eighth top five this season. He's been extraordinarily competitive, um, consistent. 
but just hasn't really had the big results to keep yeah. him in the championship hunt. Uh, Joseph Newgarden finished fifth. Um, you know, it, it seems as though the big battle it really in the last couple of races, or, or in the last race, is going to be between Newgarden and um, O'Ward and McLaughlin to see who finishes third, fourth, and fifth. Um, for a long time, it looked as though McLaughlin was going to finish at least on the podium this race and would, and would be in a, a lot more in that fight. But now it looks kind of like it's going to be more between Newgarden and O'Ward at Laguna Seca. But either way, those three fighting is box office. Yeah. And, and again, uh, whilst the race didn't finish that great for Scott because of the strategy, as you said, it didn't play out well for him nor Rahal, the, the progress he continues to show, considering he's still very new to this style of racing you know he, he's he's fighting with new garden to be the best finishing of the free penske cars ahead of last year's champion power you know he, he's he's yeah. progressing really really well um good on him i love scotty mac we all love him here um so that was the top five with new garden finishing that renus vk would take his best finish of the season in sixth um He's an underrated driver. He really needs to hope that Ed Carpenter Racing get a bit more competitive or find his way into another seat. Um, he's not really in the discussion for the silly season right now. So I believe he's got at least one more year on his ECR contract, but it'll be interesting to see if anybody tries to snap him up as he is woefully underrated at the moment. Um, Marcus Ericsson was seventh um, in what is his penultimate race for Chip Ganassi Racing. David Malukas... Uh, took another really strong finish he finished eighth um, at the moment it seems very likely that he is going to be going to the six um, for mclaren next year um, which i am extraordinarily excited to see uh, david is another underrated driver who's he's slowly getting to the point where people are rating him as high as they should but you know doing what he's doing in a coin car is is really impressive and he would really deserve that opportunity or or the opportunity he, he, he says he's got a deal signed but we don't know whether it's mclaren or someone else at the moment so either way well little david achieve f-boy year. status stay tuned in <laughs> uh do we know what's going to happen with the other dale coin racing driver uh it's time for stingray rob watch everybody <laughs> Um, Stingray finished 23rd. Uh, honestly, he, nope, not his worst. Nope, he's had some, uh, yeah, he's, he finished 27, the 27, 25. Yeah, his best finish was his best finish was St. Petersburg and he got 16th this season. His only real uh contribution to the race was when he was briefly about a second and a half ahead of Polo after not pitting yet. That's Here about he it. Led- he led one lap no. of season at Texas. Oh yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. So, you know, job <laughs> done. I don't know. Like, yeah. At, at the moment with coin, we're, we're hearing rumors that Roman Grosjean might be negotiating to go back there. Cause obviously, as we said on last week's show, he has lost his seat. Um, had we confirmed that? Sad. Oh no, sorry. That's actually something we've got to talk about now because we, it was <laughs> confirmed in this week. Prior to the race, <laughs> during qualifying, <laughs> Roma, it was announced that what we had assumed was happening after Ericsson's announcement that he would be going to Andretti next year, it was confirmed that Grosjean will not be returning to Andretti for next season. Currently, as I said, it's believed he is negotiating with Dale Coyne to try and return. Um, so that would clear up one of the Coyne cars. Um, there has been a horrible up thing that I've seen re- reported today. 
and this is with regards to the fourth Andretti, because during the same announcement, Andretti seemed to suggest that they hadn't decided whether they were going to run four cars or scale back to three next year. However, I've seen uh, speculation led by Marshall Pruitt that there is the potential that Stingray could end up at Andretti with all of his sponsorship money. Um, Do it. No, don't do it. Fuck's sake, don't do it. They've do just it. they've just <laughs> finally gotten rid of a pay driver in Devlin Day Francesco, and then they're gonna go for a worse one? Like I I I A, I really don't hope that I, I really hope that doesn't happen and don't think it will, because we heard from Michael Andretti a couple of months ago when they announced that Devlin was leaving, that they didn't need nor want a pay driver in their twenty nine car anymore. So why then uh, take money away? talks and like, two months is a long time in the racing world. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. As, as I went on to theorize, you know, in, in the racing world, one thing that you say one month is can be completely the other, you know, it's like Alex Polo contracts. Contract. They mean nothing. So yeah, maybe, maybe somebody over at Andretti can give him some words of wisdom or some, some, something. Andretti are I, a I very good team, but I don't think they're miracle <laughs> workers. <laughs> Why do you do my boy like that? Because <laughs> he's just not that good. He, he's a perfectly, he a perfectly nice person, except when he's put laying blame on a crash at the Indy 500 on somebody when it should have been him. He's a perfectly nice and, and, uh, he's a perfectly capable person of being able to drive a car around sometimes without incident. <laughs> I want him to be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love him to be good, but realistically, and we've said this before, I mean, if he was named anything else, anything else, we wouldn't <laughs> care. That he, should go- <laughs> he would just be another rookie. That's what you're saying grid. is that he should go do sports car racing. <laughs> I've, oh, I've, I've, I said a couple of races ago, he is prime candidate for America. Ugh. I might not have said that on the show, but I, I said it now. So, my, you know, I no, I remember you saying it. Um, I'm trying to think on whether or not we'd want him at core. And I think <laughs> no, <laughs> the, you the answer is no. He, hey, he might be able to change a tire or something. <laughs> he could come assist me as a tire. I'm sure he mean. He, I'm sure he could read a temperature probe, or, or make a mean <laughs> cup of Joe. I don't know. I'm sure there's a great deal, many positive attributes. It's just so far he's done a great I'm job. I'm sure he would put corn on pizza. So that's so why I'd like him. Oh, Jesus uh, maybe Christ. I was wrong. Maybe he is a good guy. Um, <laughs> Stingray Cobb, am I right? I oh, I'm, I quit. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> this is my last episode. Next week's going to be a solo show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's hope John doesn't listen, so I at least get somebody on. Um, further down the grid, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Whilst we're talking about Roman, we might as well get him out of the way because he actually finished worse than Stingray in this race. Um, he did. Yeah, he uh, was involved in contact on that one. That wasn't his fault. Um, there, there was a, a lot of dust kicked up from somebody who got pushed wide. I believe it was um, Rossi got pushed wide by Pato um, into the dirt. There was a lot of dirt. Um, Grosjean went in, didn't couldn't see anything, and ended up making contact, which broke the left yeah. front off of his car. Yeah. I believe so. Um, I one believe of the so. fronts. I, that, so I did see. I did see that part of the race. Mm-hmm. I did see the opening and and, and then the subsequent uh, 
trip he took off road. <laughs> that was a lot of dust. It was super dusty. That's Portland. <laughs> Portland. I mean, at this time of year, it's either raining or it's dirty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say with all the rain, you'd think it'd keep the dust down, but mm. not, not today. But yeah, that one wasn't really his fault. There's nothing he really could have done. It's just you know, with, with qualifying down in that position, and he was angry after qualifying. We we saw a lot of tensions boiling over immediately after his qualifying run. He was actively arguing with his team about traffic. And, and it just looks like it's it's a relationship that has completely gone to shit between Grosjean and Andretti. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to what was it March February. I'm gonna take you back to the Thermal Club and our first look at Romain in the car and what we were saying about the upcoming season and how strong he looked and how everything looked good. We were excited about you know Romain getting a win this year. And then St. Pete happened and we were like, all right, it's still, it's still possible. It's still possible. And then Texas happened and we were like, all right, it's gonna, it just, it's been downhill since then. Well, first four races, you know, he finished second yeah. at Long Beach and Alabama, could have won easily either of them, was right up there at Texas, right up there at St. Pete. And I remember vividly having this conversation where we were saying he's blindingly quick, but he needs to get that win and then everything will be okay. He needs yeah. to make that step and he's not yep. done that. Nope. And I, no. I know we've we've said multiple times as well, Andretti are not consistent. That's why they're looking at scaling back so that they can focus properly on three cars rather than overextending themselves with four. Even more if you think about the fact they have the technical alliance with Mayor Shank Racing. So, you know, it, it, the blame isn't entirely on Roman this season. There's been multiple no, times where it hasn't been his fault or the cars let him down. But equally, he's 13th in the championship. Kyle Kirkwood is 11th. Admittedly not far ahead, but he's won twice. Colton is 10th, admittedly not far ahead, but been a lot more consistent. Um, the only Andretti Grosjean's ahead of is Devlin and Devlin shit. And Grosjean is a much better driver or is capable of much better things than what he's doing and yet isn't able to do so. So I, I, I genuinely hope he sees success with Lamborghini. So do I. And that's the thing. That's the thing that's the most frustrating with Roman is he is so quick and he's such a great guy. Yeah, and and we really want him to do well. Like uh, again, go back and listen to our episodes in March and, Fe uh, and and April, and listen to how much we wanted him to do well, and we still do. But I completely understand why Andretti have taken the decision they have, and why they've gone with Ericsson because Ericsson is almost the antithesis of Grosjean at this point. He's consistent and can win, and is one of the one of the really really good drivers on this grid. Um, the fact that Ganassi let him go, I think is baffling. We know it's about money, but you know, it's a great signing for them and he will do really well for them. He will give them what they need, which isn't Roman, sadly. Uh, just, you know, that's, that's what fandom is, mm. you know, I mean, it ups and downs and ins and outs and all that stuff. And I'm going to follow him wherever oh, he goes, sure, whatever, sure. whatever he does, you know, even if he, if he never sees another podium in IndyCar or, or IMSA or whatever, uh, still going to remain a fan. You know, the, the guys, again, super Any nice. Series, Could not be a nicer dude. Be lucky to have him and as so, an ambassador. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and I'm, I'm purely basing this off of one like 30, 45 minute conversation that I had with him. But in that 30, 45 minutes, I realized that he is super approachable about 
anything and will tell you anything you want as long as he can tell you you know <laughs> we asked him about the lamborghini hypercar he was like uh it's gonna have cool tail lights and it's green um but but no he was he was super approachable he asked i mean we we talked about i racing a little bit and then he asked me about i racing you know and how we did we had just done the the 24 hours of daytona uh right before i met him and and yeah i mean so again uh he earned a fan for life purely based on a 30 45 minute conversation but it was a it was a conversation back and forth it wasn't just me you know <laughs> meeting the guy it was it was really cool so i'll I'll follow him wherever he goes uh just to cap off the final few bits from the race results of portland uh graham rahal as we said started on pole but the strategy just completely unwound for them uh, he ended up leading the race in the early stages to being a pit stop behind Polo uh, toward the end of the race. You know, it, ju- it just came unraveled for them. He finished 12th. Um, further back, um, you had Yuri Vips. We mentioned Yuri in our last show. Um, we don't really need to go into you know all the all, the, all all of what we said last week. Needless to say, we basically said he needs to make the most of this opportunity he's been given because he doesn't necessarily have a big career to rely on or, or positive uh, history to rely on in case it doesn't work out. Um, if he finished 18th in a Ray Hall, uh, which is, you know, c- considering the other Ray Hall cars finished 11th and 12th, he was the first car a lap down. He was perfectly acceptable. Um, I'm sure given more opportunities, he could be better. Um, I'll be interested to see how he does in his second week this coming week at Laguna Seca. Again, it, 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 it's a weird situation. We don't really know whether he's going to be there next year or not. Obviously, they're trialing him right now, but we've heard loads of different candidates for that final Ray Hall seat. It's strong competition, so he really needs to. Yeah, I, I think if he can have a strong weekend this time out, he'll put himself right in the conversation, but there's loads of other people sniffing around that seat right now. So we'll just have to see how he does. It was a perfectly acceptable debut. Um, he didn't do anything wrong. He was, he was okay. He's, he finished where he qualified. Yeah. <laughs> Better than Stingray. Um, <laughs> yikes. Um, where did he? Uh, yeah. Oh, yep. Stingray lost one position. Ah, well, there you go. Terrible. No, he gained a position. He started twenty four. He started twenty four. Finished twenty third. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I got the backwards. Yeah, I have Listaxia. I'm sorry. Oh, I I hate numbers. Don't worry. Um, uh, behind Yuri was Marcus Armstrong. He was running really well until a bulged pit stop from Ganassi um, saw him almost leave the pits without a rear a right rear tire. It feels like with the amount that Ganassi have fucked him over this year, I feel like they owe him another season next year, a full-time season. You know, the horrible strategy decision at Road America, which took him out of at least a podium, the decision to not put him in the car for the final two ovals instead of Takuma Sato, who probably well, crashed in all. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then this pit stop, you know, he's he's currently leading the rookie of the year standings despite missing all of the oval races he's got i think about a 26 point lead over augustine canapino heading into the final round it should be easy because canapino's been good but i don't see him scoring that many more points than a marcus armstrong but man you know ganassi don't make mistakes like that seldom if ever 
And yet, whenever they have made mistakes this year, it's been with Armstrong and the 11 team. Um, I really hope that we see him full time next year because he has been really, really good. And but his results haven't shown it because of ex- uh, like interfering circumstances. So I, I'd lo- I'd love to see him in another in a full time. How many cars does Ganassi have again? Um, Is it three or four? Four at the moment. Yeah, so they are three full-time uh, with, uh, well, f- four full-time, but the fourth is split between Armstrong and Sato. Um, obviously, we know next year we've got, well, after the race, Ganassi have said that Polo is with them 100%, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Scott Dixon is staying on with the team. Obviously, Arm- uh, Ericsson is leaving and has been replaced by Lundqvist. We don't yet know what's happening with the final car. So hopefully it's Armstrong. We, we th- Again, it's the IndyCar paddock at the moment. Multiple people have been linked to that team. We'll see who ends up where. But Armstrong should be Agreed. in the car, in my opinion. Um, final bit. Tom Blomqvist made his second start, really his first start, after he was taken out at lap one of Toronto by Jack Harvey. Uh, started 27th, finished 24th, one lap down. Again, it's hard to really look at how well he did considering the Mayer Shank racing car isn't that good anyway. Elio finished 14th, um, 40 seconds off of the lead. So, I, I, again, it, it's just a matter of acclimatization. It's, again, very different circumstances to what Tom is usually used to. I think it'll be a lot more indicative of, of how he is able to do when he has a full load of preseason testing and and a, a whole run-up to his his proper rookie season. Thirty minutes. Jimmy Johnson never was. Um, but correct. Um, well, he, I don't know. He had a top ten on an oval once. I don't know. Um, watch him go back to Ganassi. Fuck me. Um, yeah, that about does it for the race results at. Portland. There were a couple of support series races, one that we usually mention, one that we don't. First being Indy NXT. And it was a race that was basically highlighted by a massive pileup at turn one. Um, Louis Foster converted pole position into the victory after avoiding the opening lap cl- chaos, uh, which collected his closest championship rival, hun- ch- championship rival. Oh no, sorry. Which collected a championship contender, Hunter McElray, thus extending Christian Rasmussen's championship lead to where he has 445 points compared to Hunter McElroy's 380. Uh, there are two races at Laguna Seca, both paying 50 points each plus bonus points. So it's still open. Anything could happen still, uh, but it is looking very good right now for Christian Rasmussen to take the championship. Um, shout out also to Jamie Chadwick, who finished sixth, um, her best finish in Indy next so far. Um, We'll see. I, I don't know whether she's confirmed for another season next year, but I was having this conversation with other people before. Um, it's been a growing season for her, and she seems to have improved in the latter half of the season, so I'll be interested to see what she can do in a full-time uh, season next year, heading back to a series that she is now familiar with. Um, the other race that I wanted to mention from Portland was the U- USF Pro 2000 race. Um, as the championship was secured by Miles Rowe, um, thus becoming the first African-American to win a U.S. Open Wheel Championship. Um, Rowe's story is brilliant. Um, he, he was very much seeking funding a couple of years ago where a lot of people didn't have any, and it came down to him having a GoFundMe 
uh, for two hundred thousand dollars or something like that. He managed to raise to race that season's St. Pete race. Um, which I believe was the start of his second season at the time. He ended up winning one of the races and then got backed by Roger Penske and Penske Entertainment um, with uh, encouragement from Will Power. Um, that led to him getting the opportunity with Force Indy and has now led to him winning the championship. Um, with that, he has a scholarship now for, I, I think it's almost $700,000 to uh, it, it essentially guarantees that he will be racing in Indy NXT next year. I am really excited to see what he does. Miles is a really, really talented race car driver, and he deserves all these opportunities. Yeah, and by all accounts, a nice kid, right? Uh, watching his interview what I've been during reading. the IndyCar race and like seeing everything before, and like he, you can't help but not root for the guy. I mean, it, it puts a huge smile on my face, and you can tell like he's really polished in his interviews. But you can also tell he's got that race car driver dog in him. So I, I can't wait to see him compete more. The confidence yeah. he has, the confidence he has, whilst not being cocky. You know, he was like, "I knew I could do this, but I had to do it." And he doesn't come across cocky. It, it's it's race car assuredness, and whilst being incredibly down to earth, I, I I am a big fan of this kid. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does next year in Indian NXT. Um, and you know, if it all goes well, Penske have have got that relationship with AJ Foyt, and they've said that they want to use that team to place upcoming Penske drivers or affiliated drivers. Could Miles Rowe be in an AJ Foyt racing car in a couple of years' time? Who knows? We'll and see. If there's what anyone to be a mentor to a young driver, Will Power is a freaking great mentor to have. So let's let's freaking 100%. go. And Force Indy is a great program. Yeah. If you have, don't know anything about it, look it up. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, that's the last bit. I, I, I had some off-track news to talk about, but we've spoken about it during that. Grosjean being confirmed out of Andretti. Uh, we briefly mentioned the fact that Ganassi have now confirmed Linus Lundqvist oh, for 2024. Um, how many times have I said this year that Linus Lundqvist deserves to be on this grid? He then got on the grid. He's made the most of the opportunity, and now he's signed with Ganassi. That is scary, the fact that Linus is now in a Ganassi of all things, you know who knows what they're going to do with their fourth car as we were speculating earlier but to have a three car lineup so far of dixon polo and lundquist oh boy that's going to be something to watch next year um i'm expecting big things from lundquist next year but we will see how that goes um on to our final uh, race event of the show to talk about and that is the first round of the nascar playoffs the southern 500 at darlington and as we said earlier um with regards to whether it was a good race or not i would say and feel free to chime in if if you disagree at least the best oval race of the year i i i I had said best race in total but then i remembered chicago with van Van gisbergen winning so (laughs) and even then it wasn't a great race it was just because svg won it um was that the best oval race of the year i i think maybe so it 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 was a fight like the 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 first uh uh the first stage green all the way through after that you can see that fatigue set in from just a long race and i think the sun setting also had uh a bit to do with it but what seven eight cautions or something like that by the end of yeah. the race uh just from 
you know, little tiny mistakes here. But I think the last hundred laps really made this race shine. Um, the beginning of the race started out kind of slow. I mean, it's a 500 mile race. You can't win it in the first hundred laps. And you saw, you actually saw comers and goers throughout the field. You saw guys at the start be really fast, like Blaney and uh, the Joe Gibbs cars. And then gradually as the sun went down, the track changed. They weren't able to keep up. So actually also had mistakes, um, which we'll probably get to. But, and there's also that red flag for the lights going out. And was it turns three and four? Oh, yeah. Yeah, one, I thought it was. Was it three and four? It I thought it was one and, and two. The, yeah, the, the inside, inside lights light. shine up on the wall. It was three and four. Yeah, I, I've never seen something like that happen. I've I've seen like the lights go out mid race, but then come back on pretty quickly. But there was a bit of a worry there for a bit of time that that maybe they wouldn't be able to. That, like they were asking the drivers, "Would you be okay to carry on?" And they didn't seem comfortable to do so, which is good. Like I'm, I'm glad they were asked. Um, yeah that was a bit strange like, like, other than that like once the race got back going like this was the best racing we've seen with the next gen car on an oval you know like outside of like restricted plate track or you know or like atlanta where it's just pure chaos like the cars were running down each other and having really good battles on different lanes of the track i mean there's still aero blocking but that's always been the thing with the next gen car and darlington in general uh since like the early 2000s but like the actual competition itself on the track was was great my only concern as is everyone's only concern of Darlington is how long is it going to be until they're going to repave the track because this old surface just makes some great racing and we don't want to have a Atlanta 2.0 situation happen again because this is really great and plus not only just like the general racing but the championship implications that took place throughout the race are really quite shocking and uh, our brackets are in trouble <laughs> yeah um as we said in last week's show we, we we've put up a load of uh, like uh, our predictions of who's going to go where on the playoff bracket and there are multiple times during that right as you said cumbers and goers was really the theme of the night because there are multiple times where i'm like ah i made the right decision about this driver and then all of a sudden they were in the top five and i'm like shit <laughs> i fucked it but um yeah it, really really interesting race with a lot of playoff implications um christopher bell started on pole and you know again he's a playoff contender i've got him in my championship four and yet he ended up having one of the most unfortunate races i've ever seen you know he was involved in incident after incident after incident and not a lot of them were his fucking fault um yeah. like for example that final one with, when bowman and suarez came together that we'll talk about in a bit he was an innocent bystander in that and got collected um after his and that was like yeah. his third incident so so he's he's now in a little bit of a hole um you had martin tricks jr uh brush the wall uh late in the late in uh, i think it was stage one um and then had uh, multiple unscheduled pit stops because a, lo- a loose wheel lost a couple laps he ended up finishing 18th um Stenhouse had a pass-through penalty. um, Logano hit the wall. Wallace had a spin. Um, You know, it's the usual thing. It it seems like we get to the playoffs and all of a sudden all the playoff drivers start having issues. Everybody who ended up, or most people (laughs) who ended up having a good finish, they had trouble early in the race that they're able to bounce back from. And everyone who was pretty fortunate running up front and their cars like rocketing away, they are the ones who who fell back. I, I think the prime example of that was Blaney for sure. Like he was running in the top five. He was in contention. They got behind on the setup changes and he just sank like a rock. It was really, 
like the same thing happens every year at these tracks, but it still catches people out. And that's just what's makes Darlington mm. great. Another one who had problems, Kevin Harvick, you know, he was, he was chasing uh, Reddick for the lead in the oh, yeah. stages. And then there was this really strange moment where Harvick came down for his pit stop. Um, and, and Reddick tried despite the fact he was on the outside and well ahead of Harvick at the time, he, it looked like he slowed down to try and make pit lane himself. No. It was never happening. He was never going to slow up enough. And all he did was check up so much that Newman had to spin to avoid him. That brought out a caution, and the caution came out right as Harvick was entering the pit lane. Harvick then decided to, like, he entered a pit, a closed pit. But I, I thought, and I believe it is the case where if you enter a closed pit, so long as you don't take any service and drive straight through, you will lose a little bit of track position. But right. you know, you won't get a penalty. But instead, they elected to service him, and that meant he had to start at the end at the end of the, the longest line. Uh, it didn't ended up finishing 19th in what was a day where he was arguably the strongest he's been so far this season. Would NASCAR benefit they have from like a committal line. line? They have one. Well, if you're past it and their th- th- caution is They're thrown. Ca- well, it's they have a commitment line and then they have the line to enter pit lane. So maybe they should be one and the same just to eliminate it. But either way or, or, or was- move the committal line closer. Right. So like if, if you're between the committal line and the actual pit entrance. If you're in that area, when a caution comes out, you should be exempt from the entering of closed pits. They, they, I, I don't, I don't think so. They make decisions on race wins using video evidence based on who's it head at right. the last stage of, you know what I'm saying? I, I, it, it's doable. I, th- I, think I think it's 100% it, doable. I don't think it's a problem with the rule. I think it's just a problem with the situation that happened with Reddick just slowing. Like at first I thought it was he, that his car popped out of gear because both he and Larson were complaining that their cars popped out of gear straight into the neutral, but like, he just slowed, like you said, and it was just the most bizarre thing ever. I mean, props to Newman for having <laughs> the skill to avoid him, even though I mean, yeah, he avoided him, but it, it's it was really weird. I it, it's not the first time that Reddick has made a really, really yeah. silly decision. Um, on, honestly, I I feel like that should have been a penalty or something. To be honest, not being able to maintain a consistent speed on the racing surface, I'm sure that's a rule I mean, in NASCAR. You know, they'll, they'll they'll take cars off because of their, because they've got some tape hanging off of it or something. So I, I feel like they Reddick sh- came out of that situation in a better position. And I don't think he should, that should have been allowed to have happened, but I don't know. It's, it, it was, it's it was one weird. Of strange racing deals this time. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. The, the commitment line is black and white and it, it's pretty cut and dry. It sucks for Harvick, but again, they could have mitigated how much time they lost by just driving through the pit lane instead of it's back of longest line. And there was only like, what, 15 cars on the lead lap at the time, it felt like. And then we had a whole bunch of cautions at the end that kind of pushed them back further. But it was, I mean, other than like that strange oddity, it was a really competitive and aggressive race. <laughs> Yeah, and as you said in the closing stages, it was it really the final hundred laps or so. It really ramped up, and, and in the closing stages, you had Kyle Larson who had cycled through to the lead after starting 18th, and he was about a second ahead of Tyler Reddick, sometimes even less. And then you had Chris Busher right on the back of Reddick. Byron was coming out and toward the end as well. You know, for a race that was over four hours long, 
I felt like I wanted another 50 laps just to see it continue to close up. Um, ultimately, Reddick wasn't quite able to get to a position to actually challenge Larson for position. He was just kind of always shadowing him. They were they were basically running identical laps, lap after lap after lap. Larson was right up on the wall, in the wall sometimes. Reddick was right there with him. It was really intense. Um, again, ultimately, I, the battle for the lead never materialized, but it was so tense for the final 50 laps. It was superb racing. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought what, what was interesting is I, I the the difference in lines between the two cars, like you could really see the 45 making mm -hmm. early turn-ins, right? Trying to stay out of that arrow wash. You could really see him trying to push, and, and you could tell when when there were times where he was trying to catch up because that back end would get just a little loose. You know, I mean, it was, you, you could see the physicality of the race the whole way through that last, like, what was it, 30, 40 laps, mm -hmm. something like that. It was... That was a really good race, and I, I think, I, I think in order to appreciate it, you have to be a fan of racing for a while. I think if a, a new person coming in, if it was your first NASCAR race, you're just watching two cars, you know, five car lengths from each other going around a track. <laughs> but there was a lot of nuance to that, yeah. and it was it was tough. And I think further to what what you said, I think either earlier or not even on the show. I think a lot of that is down to Darlington. I think if you get a similar situation where the cars are that close together but not really gaining or, or getting into a position battle, you know, it, it might not be as exciting, but it's the fact that they're inches away from the wall lap after lap and they're constantly adjusting their lines to see if they can find a little something. That's the thing mm -hmm. that I've come to love about oval racing, you know, from somebody who 10 years ago was slagging off Brad Kozlowski on Twitter saying that oval racers only turn left and are all overweight, you know. <laughs> it, it's it's now look it up it happened it's it, like now it it's the the fact that you know it's these minute margins and these little bits of discoveries that you can make at the end of a race to try and find that little bit of an edge you need over someone it's so it, it's so enthralling i, I mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it and you know we've said a lot about the package uh, that they have this year some races it's terrible i think this race showed it can be really really good it was yeah. a banger of a race that's what kyle larson was saying he's saying this car is so sturdy it allowed me to hit the wall a few times and still be as fast as i was so i mean i don't know about the fact that it's sturdy i think it was just it was just good there you know this car allows me uh, to crash yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much i mean it, it just darlington's a beast that is it i think i said it in our chat this track is yeah. one bad motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> right? If this track was a Jedi, it would have a purple <laughs> lightsaber. <laughs> it is NASCAR's oldest quote-unquote super speedway. So, I mean, it, the track just has so much history to it, and it's produced good racing for decades. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad this new package with the next-gen car has worked at this track, because even before the next-gen got introduced, like, heck, for the last 20 years, Darlington's just put on bangers. I mean, closest finish in NASCAR history. You'd think it's her sister plate track. No, it's this track. <laughs> like this, this track just has it all. And I can't wait for them to turn it into a super speed shut, with like shut four your or five mouth. lanes. Shut your mouth. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, Dale. Dale was saying that there's there's sometimes yeah. three visible lanes. 
uh, you know, when, when the weather's right and you play your cards right on the setup, there's there's more than one lane. You don't have to rip that. It's wall something that's definitely around. developed the last few but, years is that they've been introducing that lower yeah. third line at Darlington, especially when they had the like high downforce 550 pack. You'd see guys ripping the bottom like, holy crap, there's actually three lanes. This is awesome. But like it's yeah. definitely a track where the cream and talent rises to the top, and you had two of your best rim riders and Reddick and Larson there at the end. That there's no surprise there. <laughs> I mean, they're fucking dirt racers. That, that's a, that's essentially a giant ass dirt track, right? Like the way you have to rip the lip up there. Uh, yeah, good, good, good job on Kyle Larson. Really showed his talent. That car played to. Everyone has strength. Props to Reddick as well. I mean, yeah. everyone, half the people expect Reddick to be out in the first round. He's he's done really good to put himself in position to keep advancing. And then uh, I'll just also say that uh, RFK, you know, they just happened to be there at the end. I'm just saying, you know, they're really strong, looking really good for the championship. <laughs> I don't think they're championship yet, but we'll see. We'll see. It, it's it's going to be like like we've we've alluded in the past with with this year's playoffs. It really could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, there are favorites in the form of Byron and Truex, but then you look at this race and Truex is 19th, 18th, and anything can happen. You know, people will, like just like this race, people will come and go, and um, I don't think we're really going to have an idea of who's going to win the championship until we yeah. get the green at Phoenix. So, um, as you said, Cream, rise, cream uh, rose to the top. Uh, the top nine were all playoff drivers. Uh, Larson, Reddick, Busher, Byron, and Chastain rounded out the top five. Chastain was quite the comeback after he was a, la- a lap down Absolutely. in stage one. Um, such was the coming and going nature of this race. Uh, Brad Kozlowski finished sixth. Bubba Wallace spun in stage one and came back to seventh. Um, I was about to say, I said the top nine were playoff contenders. Chase Elliott isn't in the playoffs, but his car is. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just reiterate that again the fact that he's got a p next to his name just keeps throwing me it's like it's like they've added jeff Gordon don't remind me again um the p what's the p for it's for championship uh, playoff contenders but like oh, there's okay. the owners playoffs which nobody cares about and then there's the drivers ones that's the actual yeah, important that that just that went right over yeah. my head i feel like an idiot for even asking oh. um in the world of no dumb questions that was a pretty dumb question <laughs> um come on yeah so chase elliott was eighth head of ryan blaney in ninth eric jones won this race last year i feel like this year the fact that he was up there he was as high as second at some points the legacy cars have been worse this year than they were last year. So it's even more impressive that he was as fast as he was this time around. Um, I really hope that the Toyota partnership that they're going into next year is fruitful for them because Eric is a hell of a peddler and he deserves a lot better and more consistent equipment than he's currently getting. Um, Really, really good drive from him to take 10th place uh, with Kyle Busch and Joey Logano rounding out the top 12. Um, further back, uh, playoff wise, we had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finish 16th, just ahead of Carson Hosevar, who, whilst not a playoff driver, was making his debut in the legacy car, having previously driven for Spire back at Gateway. He drove really, really well as well. Um, he's a driver that's a bit contentious. Um, I think I said the same thing at Gateway, but I think he's proving that he deserves a step up at some point. Maybe not to cup straight away. I'd like to see him do an Xfinity series. Uh, season so hopefully that happens next year because he's got 
he he could make waves when he gets to cup. Um, he was just ahead of Truex in 18th and Harvick in 19th. Further back, Bell, after all the millions of incidents, he finished 23rd. Denny Hamlin, 25th. Big wreck. Um, yeah, that was really unfortunate. He dominated the first two stages, winning both of them, um, and then had the wreck with McDowell, um, which was triggered by... What was it? It was somebody coming down... Um, I can't, I can't remember what triggered it, but basically they were they were completely unrelated yeah. in the incident, and it fucked. Yeah, them. <laughs> it was, I think cars were three wide, and they didn't know they were three wide. Then Denny tried to avoid it, and then yeah, it was Bush. I remember it was Bush coming up on on two on two other cars, and yeah, it it, it triggered some spins that got Hamlin and, and McDowell. Hamlin twenty fifth by the end, McDowell thirty second. Um, not the way they wanted to start the playoffs, I'm sure, but. Uh, Hamlin's still currently fifth in the standings due to the amount of points he had as a buffer. Obviously, the idea of a points buffer is that you have that for a while, so you don't really want to use that up straight away. But I'm I'm sure it won't be long until he's um, back in victory lane as well. We'll talk more about Hamlin in a moment, actually, because some news broke literally a couple of moments ago. Um, Final thing to talk about from the cup race, Bowman and Suarez. That was, I think, one of the main points of contention from this race. Um you had Bowman, uh, Bowman ahead of Suarez down the front stretch. Suarez popped out to make a move. Bowman moved to block him. Suarez moved back up after having made a little bit of contact and getting out the throttle to avoid the contact. Bowman moved with him again. Um, they made more contact. They both wrecked heavily. Um, Bowman would later admit on Twitter that it was a bad block and it was his mistake, but that he was tired. Um, he would also say that... Um, Suarez has had his share of dumb moves in the past as well. A really, really entertaining interview that you brought to my attention, Greg, where where Bowman was going on about how you know it's if whether it be bad blocks or his crew chief flipping him off at the airport. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some history there. Um, yikes! Yeah, they definitely have something going on. But that was that was like incredibly agreeable. It was so stupid. Like it was it was so bad. He has some nerve to come on that interview and be like, "Well, you know, there's always a wreck every time I'm racing in the '99." So I just figured I'd give my hand at it or whatever the fuck he said. Yeah. That was you got some nerve, dude, because that was they went from the wall to the apron back to the wall, and he goes, "Oh, he just chose not to lift." Yeah, silly. He was trying to get around you, and you moved eighteen times down the fucking. When you when you block all of that amount of times, you deserve to not have the guy behind lift for you anymore. Yeah, like it's a motor race. We went motor racing. God's sake! It it looks. It looked like uh, what's his name from Talladega Nights, Uh, (laughs) blocking making the track (laughs) or making that car ten lanes wide. He can see the air. He's wish.com Dale Jr. Anyway, um, so yeah, that, that about sums it up for the cup race at Darlington. We also had the Xfinity race the day before. That was won by Denny Hamlin. Um, he got his, his sixth Darlington win um, in the Xfinity series. Uh, actually, no, I think that's Xfinity and cup wins. Uh, I think he's got four in cup and now two in, in Xfinity. He's good here, basically. Um Really interesting final restart where he ended up racing the likes of uh, Austin Hill and um, uh, 
John Hunter Nemechek for the win. He ended up coming out on top. Um, a lot of people booed him in the stands. One thing I do like about Denny is his now tradition where whenever he wins, he posts the picture of the crowd uh, flipping him <laughs> off on the front stretch. And he zooms yeah, in great. on people flipping him off. Uh, that, that's great. Love that. A lot of 11s in the crowd, he says. Um, that's great. Um, yeah, sadly, the cup race didn't go well for him, but some good news literally came out in the last half. Whilst we've been recording, um, it's been confirmed. There, there, there was a, a lot of debate about Hamlin's future. as He was in a contract year. We didn't know. There, there seemed to be a bit of a, a complication when it came to 2311 because obviously he races for Joe Gibbs owns 2311 and it didn't seem certain that 20 that 2311 were going to be carrying on with Toyota next year there were rumors that they might go to Ford um and that therefore if they changed manufacturer then he was going to have to move away from Gibbs being a Toyota team however it's been confirmed now that he has now signed a multi-year contract extension to stay with Joe Gibbs racing in the number 11 and he's also confirmed on his podcast today, Actions Detrimental, that 2311 will continue as a Toyota team. Nothing really changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. It, 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 he's in as good a form as he has ever been right now. And it makes so much sense to just carry on the relationship. He, he, his relationship with Joe Gibbs Racing is still working. It's nothing like it was with Kyle Busch last year and the way that relationship ended, you know, that that's still going well. Twenty three eleven is doing really well and improving every year um, as as a Toyota team. It it just makes sense to carry on. Why fix it? Yeah, if it ain't broke? I mean, this it'd be stupid of Toyota and Gibbs to not retain both Danny Hamlin and twenty three eleven. Like heck, twenty three eleven has both its cars in the playoffs, and Joe Gibbs has was all but one of their cars in the playoff. Or they have all their cars. I think they're they're three teams. All yeah, of them. So. Yeah. yeah. I was struggling to, yeah, I, f- I forgot that. Oh, no. Uh, 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 he doesn't count. Um, <laughs> we don't count him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't get it. Anyway, um, no, it, it's really good for, for Toyota as a whole just to continue to, to add strong teams to the roster and to keep the teams they already have when it gives 2011 and now they're going to add a legacy. And we know, like you said, the talent that Eric Jones is. And he also, ironically, was also previously a Toyota driver. They know how good he is. So. Good for him. I'm sure he still has lots of money that I wish we all had. Um, but it's good to see the security for 2311 because they've definitely have punched well above their weight as a new team in the Cup Series. Yeah, definitely. So that about does it for NASCAR. Uh, oh, wait. Did we mention Hendrick Engines getting 500 wins? We just did. Anyway, yeah, no, <laughs> no, oh, no, no, Jesus Christ, guys, that's it, the biggest two, 500 fucking wins. I've never been it's met 299 with more wins for Hendrick as a whole, but <laughs> I've watched NASCAR so long, I've seen Hendrick's 100th and 200th wins. So, I mean, good for them. It's just another number at this point, they're just padding stats. I mean, definitely well deserved. Like, I remember when they did the whole big revamp like 20 years ago, uh, with a forget the guy's name um but like it, it was a big deal but i mean the engines don't really break anymore so it's not as impressive that's that that's fair but still 500 is a big number it no matter which way you cut number. it congrats to them i'm sure the the social media posts will be <laughs> very pretty and uh have lots of heartfelt attributes that are well deserved 
they, they did make a very pretty Facebook post. It's three separate yeah, Instagram yeah. posts. <laughs> so yeah, yeah those, those engines <laughs> anyway. do run really well when they've got fuel in. Anyway, that'll do it for NASCAR um, <laughs> this time. They're in action next week at Kansas, I believe it is. Yes, Bristol is their cutoff race for this round. Um, and we'll be talking about that on next week's show uh, alongside the IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca, which is also next oh, week. I can't wait for that. And World Endurance Championship is back after what seems like forever. It seems Been like ages since months. the last race they Jesus. had. Yeah, uh, they'll be at Fuji which is always a banger. I'll be interested to see what happens there. Um, but that about does it for this week's episode. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, like we said at the start of this half, uh, feel free to follow us on all the various social media channels at into the paddock with the number two, uh, Twitter, Instagram threads, also YouTube and TikTok. Now, as I said, we haven't used it yet, but I plan on doing so. Um, so <laughs> follow us there. If you're like 12 years old and have TikTok or something, I don't know how it works. Um, Head over to intotheapex.com to check out the affiliated podcast, the YouTube channel, the premium access on on Spotify and Anchor. You can also follow us individually on our various social media accounts. I'm at jgrobes1996 on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. Uh, Greg, you are? I am at speedratracing everywhere. Uh, check me out mostly on Twitch. Uh, Operation Motorsport Season 7 is coming out soon. We're doing a media day at uh road atlanta on september 12th i believe yeah 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 so catch me on twitch uh i will be streaming uh i think what sounds like a good day wednesdays i've been trying to nail down a good schedule do you think i should stream like wednesdays the day after the show yeah or maybe yeah that could go okay yeah catch me wednesdays just sometime hit me up i don't know we're figuring it out and I'm JD, at JD55 Sim Racing on YouTube. And uh, yeah, if you have any complaints about corn being on pizza, at Jordan at jgroves1996 on X slash Twitter. For real, corn is a good pizza topping. I, and I had not- no idea corn was even in the conversation <laughs> until last week. I feel like week, it's more week, of a whatever. British thing. Like It, it must be. It, it I, I googled it be. yesterday to validate myself because I was starting to feel personally attacked. And immediately it came up with one of the top responses, do British people put corn on pizza? So I've, I think it might it's be that. Gotta be a British it's thing. It's just your food is <laughs> fuck you there's nothing wrong with I, I, i'm not gonna lie boiled am, foods you know i am excited to get to wales in november because i'm gonna eat so much bangers and mash with coleman's mustard i have, cannot have wait proper fish and chips is what you fucking need especially like you're I'll, gonna be I'll, near the sea anyway i mean angle is pretty too. much in the fucking sea anyway so like, it is the ocean yeah <laughs> so um, have some of that no yeah i I'm, I'm gonna i plan on it i bangers and mash Fish and chips. What are some uh, beans for breakfast? Right? Is that that's yeah, something y'all do? Are right? Than, but are better than those are beans, fighting so words. It sounds disgusting, uh, but that's uh, fine. Fine. Se- They're yeah. different. So whilst it may seem weird, it it makes more sense when you've had our beans. Like have a proper yeah, full yeah. English breakfast. It makes. I pl- I plan on finish this conversation <laughs> off air because <laughs> yeah, we're still I, recording. <laughs> um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening. If you hate corn on pizza, I don't want to hear it. Talk to you next week. Enjoy all the racing this weekend. Take care and goodbye. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk. Thank <laughs> you.